This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Thursday to you. Jeff Simpson, Matt Townsend here, and of course, Terry South with the news. We've got... uh, a great show for you straight ahead. We're going to be doing what we can, of course, to uh, help you give it a leg up in life. Life's not easy, and uh, today we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna complicate it a little bit for you. We're going to have an interesting discussion about aging politicians. Is there a problem in our country if you know some of the top senators of the country are 80, 84, 78? President Ronald Reagan, when he was elected, was 69 years old, and people were panicking. Like, what happens if he has a a really bad senior moment? And our current president is 71. Uh, The Democrats running, the the leaders that would be running for president in 2020 are 71 to 79 years old. And how do you voice those concerns without being accused of ageism? Exactly. You have to talk really loud. Okay. they may not be able oh, to hear see, you. That's the problem. <laughs> so we're going to talk about it today. A wonderful article um, by our guest, Harold Pollack, about just the data. It's just the facts. It's just the data. It doesn't mean, in fact... Like in, the in, actual age? It's, it's, is that one of the well, facts? One of the facts is like... Do they cut them in half, count the rings? No, no, you don't. That's not how you see. The, your, these little innuendos What's wrong are, with this? you can't do it that way. We're not. They can't hear you. They may oh, not even understand. It's, it's no. a generational thing. No. Oh. Boo! See, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have these concerns. My question would just be, why don't you just go home and play with your grandkids? Well, have you seen their grandkids? No, I haven't. Well, that's all you need to know. Wow. But, but uh, our You current... just said yesterday on the show that being a grandparent is the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. No, it is. It really is. I, would, I wouldn't be running for Senate if I was... 84 years old. 83? Or 83. Oh, okay. I would if I was 82, of course. Yeah. It's a six-year term. Um, we've, we've had situation after situation where all of a sudden, you know, ages, not ageism, but their age may start to become an issue. You know? People having weird lines of questioning in certain hearings. Right. I mean, well, even in the presidential election... We saw Hillary Clinton have some medical issue. Now, it may not be related to age, but <laughs> when you're 70... That was a reaction to quinoa. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> Nobody liked quinoa. <clears throat> she had a kale shake and it didn't sit well. Yeah. Is that what that was? I have no idea. And she's never said. I guess she doesn't have to. Well, that's, that's part of the key here is... And, and by the but way, if you read the Internet, she was having a reaction because she's like a lizard person no, you and can't. the sun was too hot. You can't trust. Don't. Oh, I don't know what you're reading. <laughs> what is that? There were stories like that. Okay, that's kind of weird. But I mean, it is a problem. There were uh, during the healthcare debate, there was a situation where they talked to a certain head of a certain budget committee, mm-hmm. and they asked, "Why aren't we holding hearings?" And he looked at him like, "What? What did you say?" And then he had to turn around and talk to his aide for about thirty seconds to figure out what the proper response was. I don't wear an and earring. She, she was looking at a piece of paper and read, "Okay, this is the bullet point we need to repeat." And he's like, "What?" So he turned around and 
and had some answer that really didn't answer the question. And yeah. people were like, wait, what was that? You know, and, and there's moments like that where it does seem like maybe they're not all the way up to speed except, in the moment. Except these people, I mean, really, you go talk to some of them on policy and on other things. They are – there's nobody more informed. Right. If you catch them before noon. No. <laughs> hey, no. now, wait a minute. <laughs> no. What you about – You catch them any time of after day. After lunch, it's a whole different ballgame. But, but there is a problem when you're running for a, a, a seat that has a six-year term hmm. and you're 84. There is a – and the, the, our guests will get into the statistics – the odds are like 50% chance that you're not going to finish your term. Right. So yeah. why not just – and you've already been in there 20-something years. Just hand it down to the next gen. Just let – it doesn't mean you're done. Let's, it means you're just going to have a different role. Hmm. How many times in high school were you caught not paying attention? Oh, every day. So when day. you were asked a question, yeah. you gave a, an answer that wasn't relevant. Well, right. And I was a, just a young punk. Yeah. By the way, for those of you that don't like the Affordable Health Care Act, it was passed in the first place because 92-year-old Senator Robert yeah. Byrd was wheeled out on the Senate floor. They're, come on out here. Nearly what? on his deathbed. <laughs> yep. And he was the deciding vote. And then John McCain just the other day. And then they put him back in the closet. Where gave they found the him. thumbs down on yep. the thing. ACA thing. So, I mean, this is – and now it may happen again on, ta- on the tax bill. Mm-hmm. So, but it's not about, it's not, it's just at some point, we have a very old political system. Some countries somehow inspire younger politicians and get more youth and, and vibrant, uh, you know, position. And I mean, the interesting thing is too, would a younger generation bring a different type of politic? Would they be able to handle maybe things in a different way or maybe a more bipartisan way? Hmm. 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 Uh, I don't know. Well. I it's, don't know. The, 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 here's There's the, really no evidence to point that direction. Well, there's no evidence to not. There's no evidence because we've never tried it. <laughs> we've never tried it. But one one other interesting thing is um, a lot of these politicians that are have aged that are aging. I think wonderfully. They look great. Um, right. They are many of them are the ones responsible for the very policies we now are trying to change. Mm-hmm. They've been in there so long. They've been in there so many generations that. They're going to change their own policies that they already blew, right. blew it up on. So whatever is politically expedient. Yeah. So today we're just going to have an interesting discussion about, but we're not going to get into those stereotypes. <laughs> right. I get it. I understand. Sheesh. You're so, a monster. Yeah. Well. Yes, you are. Um, anyway, we'll get to all that fun. But uh, first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we should be paying attention to? President Donald Trump visited hospital bedsides and vital police uh, base in stricken Las Vegas on Wednesday, offering prayers and condolences to the victims of Sunday night's shooting massacre, along with the nation's uh, thanks to first responders and doctors who rushed to save lives. America is truly a nation in mourning, the president declared days after the gunman. Uh, committed his act of violence. The rampage killed at least 58 people, injured more than 500, many from gunfire, others from chaotic efforts to escape. In Las Vegas, Trump spoke the families, spoke to the families. Tonight we go to uh, bed in a world that is suddenly empty. Our souls are stricken with grief for every American who lost a husband or a wife, a mother or a father, a son or a daughter, he told them. We know that our, your sorrow feels endless. We stand together to help you carry your pain. It was a somber address from a president who prides himself on commanding strength, but sometimes struggles to project empathy 
so, in times of tra- yeah. tragedy. So he was able to stay he within did, the lines. I mean, that was a... Well, it's that getting was, better. Yeah. Well, well there's, there's a situation right Well, at there. least he didn't say, you know, <laughs> you guys are lucky on 9-11. We lost so many more people. <laughs> It is. Yeah, that was a, he, he dodged a bullet. There. And there is there is the idea of prepared remarks versus, you know, speaking off the cuff. Well, and you're also speaking to. And there were no paper towels present. Right. So I guess it's different when you're speaking to somebody that was shot at at a concert, and somebody that just had a hurricane pass over. Right. He sees that differently. Apparently, so, but well, and they were in a hospital, right? They were. Yeah. So different situation. I mean, he was using his hospital tone. His, so bed, his bedside manner. Yeah. In other news, the lawyer for Mary Lou Donnelly, the girlfriend of the Las Vegas shooter, says on Wednesday that his uh, the lawyer says that his client did not sense warning signs from the shooter before he uh, carried out the massacre. And uh, in a prepared statement read by her lawyer, Donnelly said he never said anything to me or took any action that I was aware of uh, that I understood in any way to be a warning that something horrible like this was going to happen. It never occurred to me in any way whatsoever that he was planning violence against anyone. Hmm. Uh, Danley also said that in the statement that she hoped for a quiet future. Uh, ooh, we'll see. Whom she described, he uh, describes the uh, the man as kind, caring, and quiet. Uh, she was in the Philippines and recently returned back, uh, arriving in the U.S. Tuesday night. So. Now leave me in peace to go spend my $100,000 that was transferred into my account. Yeah. Well, it's into a account. Now they're saying it may not be $100,000, but it was transferred to the Philippines, and so there's details. Uh, yeah. The bigger thing, I guess, is that if she's sincere, she's saying she didn't see anything. Right. Like, there was nothing there. Hmm. His brother didn't see it. I mean, so something else is going on. And the sheriff of Las Vegas is like, there's too many elements here for one person just to dream this up. Really? All on his own. Well, I mean, hold it. Hold it. Like, he must have had help at some level. Well, yeah, I was just thinking, because there's, like, Stephen King novels. Yeah, but not everyone is a... He dreams up some pretty weird stuff all by himself. Right. That's a good point. So, but the planning, the logistics of it all, I don't know. He actually had the hotel room for free. It was comped because he was such a a loyal patron. yeah. Yeah. He had a hotel room, allegedly... Well, no, the TMZ's reporting he had a hotel room... Overlooking another concert venue in Chicago with, that had 400,000 people at that concert was a Lollapalooza concert. Ooh, that's scary. So that never, oh. apparently he never checked in, but he had either reserved the room or looked into it or whatever. Yeah. There's record of that. So more news coming out about that over the next few days. Scary. Secretary Rex Tillerson on Wednesday reaffirmed his support for President Trump in a public statement from the Treaty Room of the U.S. Department of State. My commitment to the success of our president or our country is as strong as it was the day I accepted this offer to serve as Secretary of State. Tillerson reportedly nearly quit his post last summer after the real estate magnate polarizing speech after Trump spoke to the Boy Scouts because Tillerson used to be the head of the Boy Scouts. Yeah. He felt that um, that speech uh, was out of line. Yeah. That's like sacred so, ground for him. Apparently. Regarding the claim that he called the uh, the, the president a moron, he said uh, that, uh, well, he never actually addressed that. They asked him directly. No, and he yeah. Didn't, yeah. So la, 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 the la, story la. says that he was ready to, to quit, and the vice president, uh, Pence, came in and said, no, 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 come on, stay on, you know, you need to stay here. Regarding his claim that he called the president a moron, Tillerson said, I'm not going to get into petty stuff like that. 
He reportedly uh, was critical of Trump's off-the-cuff unpredictability, lack of foreign policy basics, and chafes at being publicly undermined, while Trump's list of grievances include Tillerson's eye-rolling, another <laughs> dismissive body language during meetings, foreign policy convention. Uh, so Basically, Tillerson rolls his eyes, yeah. he'll slump his shoulders, yeah. and, and Trump looks over like, why aren't you supporting me? What's going on? You know, so there's just different... Tillerson's doing the old teenager routine. He is. He is. Um, and then it, it goes on and says, uh, many people in Congress and the West Wing expect a Rexit. Yeah. By 2018, an official told, this is out of BuzzFeed, that Tillerson had a, has a suicide pact oh, with uh, Defense Secretary Mattis and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, meaning that if any one of those cabinet secretaries becomes a target of Trump's ire, all three will leave together. Oh, that's, a, that's actually a really good idea. Yeah. If you, I mean, he can't take down his whole cabinet. Maybe that's why Trump hasn't thrown him under the bus like others. Maybe. That's like one of those packs that friends make. Like, if neither of us is married by the time we're 40, yeah. we'll get married. Let's not call it a suicide pack. Yeah. Let's call it, like, a mutual destruction path. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know. And finally, uh, two women who escaped a Canadian prison on Monday were found by police in the, the next day in an escape room. Uh, have you ever done an escape room attraction? No, it doesn't even seem interesting to me. I did one of those. It was all right. I don't like um, being trapped. Did you escape? Uh, yeah, we were able to get out. He's was, standing right there. It was a pirate-themed thing. It was kind of weird. <laughs> Kelsey Lane Marie Mass, 23, and Selma Fane Trope, 20, jumped over the fence at the Edmonton Institute for Women and got away. The fleeing convicts were found, weren't found again until Tuesday when they wandered into SideQuest's Adventure, Inc., an escape room business where participants are given a set amount of time to develop strategies and solve problems to get out of a confined place. Mm. They asked to see one, and we said, sure, no problem. That's a pretty normal thing. A lot of people want to see what they're getting into before they book, says Jonathan Law, a co-owner of SideQuest. Moments after the police officer, moments later, a police officer entered the business, asked if the escape prisoners were in an escape room. He then called for backup and arrested them. The owner said it's funny and ironic that escaped convicts ran to an escape room and got caught. Well, they're good at it. Wouldn't you just you go with your strengths? Actually, they're not good at it. They well, got caught. Well, they were they were good at it until they got caught, but they did escape. Yeah. So they thought, hey, let's try it again. Let's see if we can see how good we really are. Only to be caught again. Uh, uh, did you see the, this story about police taking a shot at an actor on a movie set? Yes. What? Yeah. An what actor, actor, what movie he, set? He was holding a prop gun. Not a good one. While filming ah. a robbery scene and was shot at by police responding to an armed robbery call. Hmm. Yeah. And the cops, uh, the officer's single shot missed, and Duff, uh, Jim Duff was the name of the actor, I guess. Who? Yeah. But I don't, I, I don't know what kind of actor he is. Or, you know, just I, to I give the cops the benefit of a doubt, it very well could have been an armed robbery. Well, yeah. Because we, we've played that clip from Woody Allen's film, Take the Money and Run, where he's a bank robber and his plan to get away with the theft is to pretend like they're filming a bank robbery. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that, that was the real life story here. And he got he's fine. Everything's fine. But apparently the cops did not know there was a they, they were walking into a movie set. And you're holding a fake gun. Here in this building, a few months back, yeah. they filmed a uh, a safety video, uh -huh. and oh, they had video, they really. had guns with blanks on 
mm-hmm. the premises. And so there was all these emails. Right. It was going to be on like a Saturday. Nobody was going to yeah. be here. But they made sure everyone knew. They con- The local yeah. police were actually involved in the production. Yeah. There's going so, to be there's going to be fake gunfire. Yeah. So just be aware. Be you know, aware. They probably alerted people across campus. There's mm-hmm. gonna be, we're doing this, so no one goes. You know, this problem could be avoided. And yet, ten people were still shocked. And <laughs> that didn't have Jim. Guns. That didn't have Jim Duff, but it had Mark Waite. Yeah, it did. In a very convincing role. Yeah, Mark Waite playing Mark Waite. There's definitely an active shooter in this building. <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. Yeah, so be careful. If I mean, a prop, just because you're carrying a, a movie prop doesn't mean anybody knows it's a movie prop, right? If anybody tells you to put a gun down and it's and they came in a car with flashing lights and a siren and they're pointing a gun at you and you are an actor, drop your gun. It's a good point. That's what grandma used to say. Yeah, and it's not like they have those little orange tips on the guns because no. that wouldn't look realistic no. in the movie. They've, they've got – they look like the real deal. So even actors, by the way, are – you know. Actors are people too. Anyway, got a great uh, topic coming up. We're going to be talking about uh, politicians and how old is too old. It's a very sensitive issue, and uh, but our, our political world, they're aging, and some of our senior leaders are older than they've ever been as far as, uh, as, far as our history, and um, it's interesting. Crazy statistics coming up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, when we talk about um, age and politics, it's it's a really interesting um, discussion. Currently, we have 12 senators who are at least 70 years old or older, five justices, Supreme Court justices who are 67 or older, and the oldest president in our country's history. Some say that age is just a number, but is it possible that age is becoming a hurdle and causing less work to get done? Our guest today, uh, Harold Pollack, is the Helen Ross Professor at the School of Social Administration, Social Service Administration. He's also an affiliate professor in the Biological Sciences Collegiate Division and the Department of uh, Public Health Sciences, um, and we're honored to have him here with us today. Harold, thank you for being with us. Thanks so much. Talk about why you uh, you felt a need in this art to write this article um, about age and our political world. Well, you know, all three branches of our uh, government have at the very top uh, uh, a balance that is strikingly old. And, uh, you know, you look at the United States Senate and so many of the key decision makers are over the age of 75. You look at the Supreme Court and, you know, we have people on lifetime appointments who are over the age of 80. Hmm. And... Uh, and we have President Trump, who is, uh, as you note, uh, uh, you know, someone who's who's both old and and who's never really had a public medical exam that that we can understand just what uh, you know what his health is like. And I think we have to find a way uh, to talk about these issues in a frank way, uh, 
that is humane and that doesn't uh, that isn't larded with stereotypes about older people, but that is also honest about, you know, we have Diane Feinstein who's well over the age of 80 running for reelection in California. And, and I just don't think that that is a healthy balance for the nation for political power to be, uh, to be moving in the direction of gerontocracy in the way that it is. Do you even see it, uh, in the democratic, um, uh, uh, what's it called? The, just the democratic, um, I guess potential presidential uh, race, but because yeah. the people are wondering where are where where are the new leaders? Where's the new blood? Where's the new life? Uh, you cited in your article, I think, a fascinating um, uh, statistic about the fact that the three people that are really maybe the front runners in the Democratic race to run for president, the three contenders, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden. And uh, Bernie Sanders would all be respectively 71, 78, and 79 years old on on Inauguration Day, which would be anywhere from one to nine years older than our current president. Yeah. And I mean, mean, from my own personal perspective, each one would be an improvement. Yeah. But but I think that you know, we need to be frank about that and to say, you know, what's your plan and, you know, what is your health like? And not what's, not just what's your health like now, but you're taking on the grueling role of the presidency. And, uh, uh, you know, it seems to me that, that it's a very fair question to say, you know, that at the age of 79, is this something that, that reasonably uh, you should be doing? Even even when you're someone, obviously Senator Sanders is a very vigorous and charismatic guy. Right. Has, you know, had you know his amazing uh, political skills and uh, very talented in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, but he but there's just basic realities of human life that we have to be be honest about, and we have to set and we have to also not just. When we speak about individuals, but I think we have to set up a process where we can where we can be more open about these things. Yeah, and open about being able to talk about it. I can hear the the critics saying, "What's the big deal, Harold? I mean, they're wiser. We've got all the technology to keep people alive. We've got better health, better medicine. People are living longer. Why wouldn't we want them to to be in there as long as they could be?" Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, by the way, I think that that they are wiser. I think there is. It's tremendously valuable to have a mix of people at the table. And there's no question that people whose life experience includes the Korean War, the civil rights movement, uh, what life was like before you could grab your iPhone, uh, you know, add a tremendous amount uh, to to American politics and. Uh, you know, and are the collect and are the memory of you know so many important things. Uh, there is, but but there's two issues. One is the balance in the United States Senate on the Supreme Court in particular. Uh, you know, there's, we need more younger people to bring the perspective of uh, of new generations. Uh, that's one issue. And the second is, you know, it's just a reality that think about the North Korean crisis. You could have, um, uh, you know, imagine that we have a a 15-day prolonged, really serious crisis with North Korea where they're making decisions at 4 o'clock in the morning uh, about the most important matters facing the nation. Uh, You know, physical and mental vigor 
and uh, you know th- those are those are important aspects of the job. And uh, you know, look at the Cuban Missile Crisis. The, you know, that was the fact that uh, John Kennedy was a young and vigorous guy uh, who also had his own health problems, but uh, that that was valuable for him. Right. And I think I think President Obama it was valuable for him that he you know was healthy and vigorous. You know, and uh, you can't, you know, technology does not outsource the need to listen to complicated uh, presentations in the situation room after five hours and to have the ability to, uh, you know, the mental agility and, and, and nimbleness to, to respond to that in a leadership capacity. And, you know, we, we, there is, you know, there's a substantial correlation between age and and decline in certain kinds of cognitive functions that that that's important and uh, uh, so yeah, I have no doubt that that people can do a lot of things uh, in advanced ages and particularly when you get elected to us like in the Senate you have a six-year term yeah so you know S- Senator Feinstein right now is highly competent highly skilled uh, works well bipartisan I mean she works well with others in the Senate, I mean, she's powerhouse. Absolutely, but what what is it, what is it going to be like for her in four years? I don't think she has any way to know that, and I think it's time for her, especially in a state like California, where she could be replaced by someone who shares her basic values but brings the perspective of a younger generation. I think it's it, it, part of wisdom is to understand. Okay, now it's time for me to 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 pass on this political power to a younger person. Uh, not because I'm doing a bad job, but because I've been doing it a long time, and it's kind of time for me to to uh, to share that. We mentioned earlier um, about how the uh, the Affordable Care Act was influenced by um, them bringing out Robert Byrd in a wheelchair yep. for that final vote. Uh, we've seen John McCain even recently, even after his announcement about his um, his his health issues, uh, he gave the thumbs down on the. Uh, repeal and replace bill or whatever. So, I mean, in an interesting way, they they bring a different dynamic, I think, to to some of the insight and discussion about certain topics. But like you're saying, too, um, maybe maybe there is a benefit to having the the voice and maybe the energy of a younger of a of a different generation, even a younger generation. I, I think that at least certainly having Younger people need more seats at the table. The way that our political system works, it's very easy for for people to become entrenched. You know, once you become a committee chair and you have a whole network of donors and you're a well-known name in your state and you're, uh, you know, you're kind of in there. And if you want to run for re-election, you'll probably win as long as you want. And when lots of senators do that, all of a sudden you look around the table and they're discussing same-sex marriage and climate change and net neutrality, and everyone there is over the age of 60, you know, that's around the table having that conversation. And you say, this is not healthy. And you look at the Supreme Court, uh, you know, with the lifetime appointment issue is is just a real problem. And all the Democratic appointees on the Supreme Court are going to desperately try to hang on until there's a Democratic yeah. president. And they're not well physically 
uh, some of them. And you know, Justice Kennedy is uh, you know is 81, and uh, you know, Justice Bader Ginsburg has had health challenges. Yeah, you know, we need to have a fixed term for those offices so that so that people so that we don't have American politics hanging on the health of someone who is uh, you know in advanced age and sort of waiting for a chance to retire um, when they can be replaced by someone who shares their uh, their ideological perspective. Yeah, no, I, I mean that's it's definitely something's got to be done too because if you aren't feeling in good health and you feel like you have to hang on for four more years as you have to wait hopefully for a change in the presidency in order to have somebody of your party um, nominated to be on the Supreme Court. I mean, it, at some point, it's I, I know what it feels like to be exhausted at work. I know what it feels yeah. like, but I don't know what it feels like to be 80 years old and having to hang on and have poor health and other issues. So it's, I mean, I guess when we get down to it, though, how do you fix something like this? I mean, this is, is this term limits? Is this, this would, and who would, who on earth would vote about creating term limits for themselves? Well, I think that there's there are some concrete things that we can do. And, and the nice thing about this is I don't think it has to have a partisan balance to it. Uh, because it's clearly, you know, both Democrats and Republicans would be affected, and uh, uh, you know, the the uh, you know Governor Perry of Texas suggested that Supreme Court justices have an 18-year term, hmm. and that they just stagger that so that every president, you know, basically every two years there's a new appoint appointment, and that that would be much better system than our current system. Ironically, by the way, you could appoint older justices if you had a fixed term. You know, That's you'd be true, crazy. huh? You'd be crazy to appoint someone who is 65 to the Supreme Court, uh, you know, if you're a president. Because, Under the current system. Yeah. 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 You want you, – ideally, you know, you know I, I, I was joking that if Hillary Clinton won the presidency, she should have appointed uh, Justice Obama. That, you know, initially <laughs> the, clerk, the clerks would have written a lot of the decisions, but once Malia got some courses at law school, she'd be ready to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you know she, could be, she could be Supreme Court justice until 2070. The um, – uh, so you know there are things like fixed terms. I think for presidential candidates that there has to be a regularized process of medical by a nonpartisan authority. Maybe it's the staff at the Bethesda Naval Hospital that just that just uh, where we just have a sense somebody's had a look. And I think I think that it should be fair game to discuss the age issue. One of the things that would actually be healthy is just to say to folk, you know, you're uh, why are you running for re-election? You're just straight up to say, you know, you're over the age of 80. You're running for re-election to the United States Senate. Is that really appropriate? Hmm. And uh, and sometimes the answer may be yes, uh, uh, but I think it's a legitimate campaign issue that that shouldn't be attached to particular personalities. It should be it should be uh, uh, you know it should just be be in the mix in a in a in a in an honest way. Yeah. There. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about term limits. Uh, I think that. Yeah, that's a complicated issue, but I do think that when people have served several Senate terms and they're also getting on in years, it does seem to me appropriate to say, isn't it, isn't it, you know, why aren't you passing this on? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, people have been there for 25, 30 years and they're, and they're, you know, well past the retirement age. 
I think it is it is appropriate to say, you know, it's time for you to think about who would who who are you going to help to replace you. It doesn't mean you retire, by the way. You can become the president of a foundation. Mm-hmm. You can you can write books. You may look at Jimmy Carter. Right. You know, he's he's amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's probably going to take up martial arts or something. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he'll probably uh, rebuild Puerto Rico. Yeah. You, <laughs> Right? Let's I mean, put him in charge of that. There's lots that you can do that is not the exercise of political power in that way. But I think, I think that's the point. I mean, you've made a, you've you've stepped into something that none of us dare talk about, or even I don't even think people dare tell the senior senator from California or Utah yeah. or any of these other or Arizona. Yeah. You know, it's time to move on. I mean, who dares tell them that? Or let alone open the conversation up. Because yeah, it, it does kind of you know have us have an odor of you know ageism, but in reality, there there is a side to this too, where uh, you know they they bring a ton of wisdom. They also should have the wisdom to know when to fold them. It, and the way that it happens is it is that it becomes a whispering, a topic of whisper and innuendo. Yeah, and yeah, and. Uh, all of the senators that I mentioned in my article that you that you mentioned uh, the, at Vox, all of them, as soon as this article came out, I would get emails from people that were like, "Here's the rumor mill." Actually, mm. and I'm sure that some of the things that I heard were true and important, and some of the things that I heard were untrue and exaggerations. Uh, there's, uh, or it was one, you know, one senator had a bad day, and yeah. then people were like, "He's lost it." That's it. Uh, it's like they're waiting for that one misstep, you know, that one misspoken whatever. And once they see it, I mean, and if it's not even there, and I don't know, but you hear rumors of Nancy Pelosi and her, you know, her brain freezes and things. And you yep. think, is any of this true? But it it doesn't matter because we can't even talk about the real issue. Yeah. It's, now, one thing, at least in the House, you run for reelection every two years and you can replace the leadership. Yeah. And um, uh, Nancy Pelosi is sort of an interesting dilemma for Democrats because she's actually extremely good at her job and she's yeah. an extreme political liability in terms of junk mail that's sent out uh, to you know uh, rural voters all over America, etc. <laughs> I, I don't see any uh, uh, evidence of her uh, having an issue, but she's not stuck in a six-year term where if she did have an issue, there would be no graceful way for her to get out of yeah. it. Yeah. It is, um, you know, I think the Senate side is really where you see the problem because of that. And uh, uh, and there's also just fewer of them. Mm-hmm. You watch, you look at a, you look at a Senate hearing and <laughs> it is really striking. Uh, and uh, uh, and they and there are there are very embarrassing cases where they're obviously leaning on their aides, you know, whispering in their ears behind them where you just think, you know, this is not healthy. Uh, there's. Um, uh, and it's uh, you know, and there's so much polarization that we really want. Uh, uh, you know, we. It's. I think the Senate as an institution is not working well, and the and the advanced age of so many powerful senators does not enhance that dynamic. No, I and I also just feel like you don't have enough people inspired to even want to get into this. I, I look at. Uh, the Democrats not having a bench deep enough politically. You think? Yeah, and, it, and then everyone else is seventy-one. All the leaders are seventy-one and above, and you sit there and you think, 
where does this go if we're not inspiring the youth to get more involved or if just we've, you know, we're keeping a bunch of people out? Um, as we wrap it up, uh, again, we're speaking with Harold Pollack, who is walking us through an article that he wrote um, in Vox called uh, titled, We Have a Political Problem No One Wants to Talk About, Very Old Politicians. And Harold is uh, the Helen Ross Professor at the School of Social Service Administration. Harold, what other recommendations do you give? What other suggestions would you have for um, for maybe stirring the pot a little bit more and um, and moving some out and others in? Uh, well, I, I think I just think that everything that we can do that brings transparency and and honest humanity to this discussion is something that we should do, and that we we should not leave it to individual politicians to tell us what they think is important for them to tell us about their health. And about their age, and we should not, and we should not be uh, deploying age in an underhanded way as a as a as a political issue. Uh, there's, and you know, we're all, we're, you know, we're all aging, uh, so it's an issue that that touches every one of us, and uh, uh, and I think that. Uh, that we we need to be more inclusive about other roles that that senior leaders at the top of American society can play that is not uh, Supreme Court justice, president, senator. There's a lot that folks have to contribute, as as, as former President Carter uh, exemplifies. Mm. And yeah. so there's a lot we can do that honors the contributions and the wisdom of of uh, of every of Americans at every age. That, that doesn't ossify our political system uh, in the way that I fear some parts of it are now being ossified. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Uh, Dr. Harold Pollack, again, thank you so much for your time, your insights. Really, it, it doesn't mean we have to even just, you know, it's not like putting them out to pasture. Uh, James Baker kept coming back to help other administrations. It's not like they wouldn't be incredible advisors. It's not like they couldn't go around and have a great speaking schedule as well. These are very powerful people, very powerful leaders with a ton of wisdom. And um, it's just we need to be able to have the discussion, I think, is the key. We'll continue the journey, folks, doing what we can on The Matt Townsend Show to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Welcome back. You know, it's a <laughs> it's so hard to know what because there's a ton of wisdom in some of. I mean, in, I think really in all of the leaders um, at that are like eighty. Right. There's life experience. They've the the the, the thing that a lot of people worry about is you start replacing all the senators and members of the House that have experience then who knows all these complex rules that those two organizations yeah. are run by? Yeah. You get in there and there. I've heard, you know, like comedy bits where people are like, so we all, all got elected. Now what? Well, we do this. Well, we can't do that. There's some rules. Do you know the rules? No. Who knows the rules? Well, the guy you replaced. Oh. Call him. Can you give him a call? <laughs> now, there's people that work. We're not talking. You know, like staff and things that work that kind of know the procedures and stuff. But mm -hmm. the reason Mitch McConnell is so good yeah. And what he does, it isn't because he's some great statesman. It's right. because he knows the rules of the Senate and he can go in there and, you know, make yeah. it work. And in fact, some might be a lot better at the rules than being a statesman. Right. Like Nancy Pelosi, they say there is no other better at getting the votes. 
She can mm. go around and you can see make that because yeah. the Republicans are the GOP is having a really hard time getting anything passed. And she but can, Nancy knew how to whip. She can do that because she can raise money. Right. Apparently, she just shows up places and it's just they money. Just throw starts, money at her, and that is a huge ability, you know, for reelection campaigns yeah. and stuff. So she can show up and say, "Hey, do you need some help in your district? Well, we need a vote." Yeah. And that's how you know. So she that's can it. make those negotiations happen. Do you think too? He made a really interesting point about this idea of uh, maybe you need to have an independent uh, body of people that review every the health of every candidate. Hmm. So it's an independent review, non biased, non political. Instead of just your, you send a limo to your doctor <laughs> in Manhattan, and then he writes a letter in five minutes that this president right. will be the healthiest president ever on the history of the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And then gives it to the limo driver who then brings it back to Trump headquarters. Right. Because, see, now people then throw out there, you know, no matter what, Trump is 71. And there is, I mean, as we age, no matter who you are, as you age, it, uh, processing information slows down. Other stuff slows down. So we need, we need an independent. Well, it's, it, it to used a third to, party. Yeah. It used to be a voluntary thing. <laughs> that you would just voluntarily give up your medical records. Now it's... The word independent. Now independent. Would be an issue. Well, but the independent would be... Because we do have this thing called the Congressional Budget Office, which is supposed to be an yeah. independent review process. Of, CBL. Yeah, that doesn't ever come across <laughs> totally as, a, independent. as independent. No one ever looks at it as independent. Well, but so. th- these, I guess, would be like at Bethesda Medical Center, sure. independent military... Yeah. They're not... They haven't... They, you know, they would not have a party affiliation. Hmm. You know. Which is... The same kind of basis in the CBO. Well, okay, then I'll tell you the easier no, no, I'm way. Just saying, we send them to Russia. You could do that too. Send them there to Russia. <laughs> They're no, fairly I, no, independent. This is a, this is a you know perfectly reasonable idea. I'm just saying in D.C. the reasonable kind of goes out the window. Yeah. Because everyone's you know in control is partisan. But this would right. be great. You have people reviewing. Okay, what's the practicality of you being reelected? Yeah. Can I bring this to a more relatable level? No. Oh. Uh, anyway, Terry, so I was telling you about... <laughs> now, hold on a second. <laughs> Absolutely yeah, yeah, go ahead. What, what do you do when grandma or grandpa is too old to be driving? Oh, but see, do yeah. you Is no. it a family member that should be telling them that you should no longer be driving? Mm-hmm. Or should it be somebody, you know, a, an uninterested or a, a neutral third party? No, we, we we just let the police officer that had tased her <laughs> right. and just said, we let or, him tell her. I've heard people that they call the physician... And say, hey, could you have a talk with Grandma? That's good. That's a good and tactic. Yeah, but take, it's a you know. huge moment. I mean, think about that. But they're taking away all your freedom, really. Mm-hmm. Driving is a free – like it's their freedom. It's Sure, they drive over the median. But who doesn't? Right. But that moment you're taking someone's license away is a really – and we went through that and that's a very – it's a pretty gut-wrenching moment. But can you imagine the moment you're trying to convince a senior senator right. who is seriously powerful – and ran for president. They have all this, you know, you look at the the track history of what yeah. they've done in the Senate and they, the the influence they have uh-huh. and they feel like they can still make an impact. Apparently Diane Feinstein is 84. Mm-hmm. And or or will be 84 if she's reelected and she'll have a 6-year term. So she'll go to 90 as a senator, but she really is one of the more, I don't know if it's bipartisan but able to work with the other party. She is one of the best at that. But right. can't she do that, show up to the social sway votes without actually having a vote herself? They won't let her in. No. Hmm. No. You can't get in the coat room. Sorry. 
What if she was the the, what if she was the coat checker? Mm. Oh, see now you're degrading her. No, because she'd still have all that contact with all the decision makers. Oh boy, I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a tricky thing. But again, I believe they're incredibly wise. You know, and I, I actually think, and they also have a different motive because at some point you're no longer trying to. Some of them speak more freely. Like I love what we see out of John McCain now because it is very, very free. It's like Senator Corker, who's no longer running. Yeah. He can say anything he wants now. And he is. Yeah. He's uncorked. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back and continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Uh, you know, it is difficult in government because you don't always know what the government wants you to do. Like, what is allowed on, uh, like, a nutrition label? What can you get by with? Can you put anything in a nutrition label? Now, the, the nutrition labels we have it now is more of a, a recent development. Over the last 10, 15 years, it's well, actually no, changed. That, no, didn't that come on the the fruit in the Garden of Eden? No. Wasn't there a label? Well, the way it's listed. Because, <laughs> I mean, you see, like, fat and calories okay. and stuff. And then they have to go in and, I mean, soda makers will, will tell you, like, here's your, your serving size. And it's like half the can. Right? Nobody <laughs> drinks half Don't the can. Don't you hate it when you find out, like, these are really low fat. And then you realize the serving or, is like or half you a get cookie. a candy bar and it's like a portion of it. You're yeah. like, come on, no one I don't like that. To answer your question, yes, there was a nutritional fact on the fruit in the Garden of Eden. It just said, if you eat this, you will die. Wouldn't you? I, I kind of wish that it was that clear on nutritional facts sometimes. Yeah, but they didn't read the label. Yeah. You got to read the label. They read it, so, but they ignored it. This story is kind of, kind of funny. It says, love may make the world go round, but it's not the stuff from which you make granola, at least according to the FDA. There's little room for whimsy when it comes to FDA compliance. <laughs> um, so this report, Massachusetts-based ba- bakery distributes to about 120 stores throughout New England. It's called Meshoba Brook Bakery was taken to task by the agency over its inclusion of love as one of the ingredients in its granola. Love. September 22nd letter to, C- to the CEO John Gates and head baker Stuart Witt. Let me address the head yeah. baker. That was interesting. Uh, outlines a slew of violations related to sanitation. The FDA also called out the bakery's use of wor- the word love as an ingredient. It reads, ingredients required to be declared on the label or labeling of food must be listed by their common or usual name. Hold on, was it was it love L O V E or yes. L U V L O V E? Yeah, but Grandma I, said that all of her food is made with love. That's what they're going for. That this show is baked message. with one hundred percent love. In case you're wondering, <laughs> love is not a common or usual name for an ingredient, and is considered to be uh, intervening material because it's not part of the common or usual name of the ingredient. Gates described <laughs> the situation as just a Sir, uh, George o- Orwellian, so nineteen eighty. Yeah. 84 there. And a call with Bloomberg. Situations like this is where the government is telling you you can't uh, list love as an ingredient because it might be deceptive. Just It just feels so silly. Uh, I didn't think there was half as much love in that food as you said there was. Bloomberg reports <laughs> that the violation was one of the lesser concerns with the letter noting bread load uh, molds that weren't cleaned between use and an employee whose blue plastic bracelet came in contact with raw dough. So there was other problems when it came to cleanliness and the process, Ugh. but just on the labeling, it just love was listed like after flour or something. Yeah. 
Well, but hmm. come on. No room for whimsy. How about, okay, so there's no room for whimsy, no room for love. How about just caring <laughs> with just a slight dose of caring? A smidge of <laughs> hold me tight. Hmm. A, a smattering. A pinch. <laughs> a pinch of <laughs> want to bite you on the cheek. None of that. This also might just be a company trying to draw attention away from the fact that they had moldy bread molds. And? In their bakery. Which is probably, I mean, if you're, if you're baking bread. How do bread, you know that was mold and not just a smattering of compassion? Mm, very well. Green compassion. <laughs> that ain't compassion. Okay, well, now we know. Now you know. Can't put love on your ingredients. Can't put love. Can you put it in, like, let's say you're you're laying cement for a, a new sidewalk. Okay. Can they smatter it with love? Maybe, like, with their finger, just draw the word love or no, a heart or No, just with their heart. Just oh. smooth it out with every stroke of their little paddle. Maybe the quality of the workmanship. There you go. I don't doubt that a lot of this food is made with anger. Mm. Just oh, yeah. some frustrated, underpaid employee. Uh, now that you could, you could This contains 150% of your daily allowance of anger. <laughs> anyway, folks, I'm doing what we can to help you through this crazy, complicated world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Program. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Hope you're having a great Thursday. The way you got to look at it, folks, one more day till your weekend, if you count your life through weekends. And we do. And we absolutely do. Because that's just what makes us so happy. We got a great uh, program for you today. Jeff uh, Simpson along with Terry South. And we're locked and loaded. I, maybe I shouldn't use that term anymore. We Ooh, are yeah. just, we are here to we serve you. Ready to go. <laughs> ready to go. And uh, boy, a lot of interesting uh, news coming out about the shooter in the Las Vegas um, mayhem craziness. But apparently he was, uh, I guess, preparing um, from what they're seeing that he was maybe going to run. He was going to perform the heinous act of that shooting and then was going to try to flee. His car was loaded with a lot of ammo, a lot of explosives, and they thought he may had wanted to flee but eventually just wrote a note and ended his own life. Hmm. They also, I don't see how he would have gotten out of that. Well, it's interesting. Um, I don't know. But he, it did take an hour for them to get him. And so he only shot for 10 minutes. So uh, I don't know what he was doing the rest of the time, probably watching those cameras to see who was coming down the hall. Um, interesting stuff. More and more stories come out of the, the, the heroes there. And again, I just can't, I can't tell you enough. No matter what, we, we spend time talking about the one, uh, the man that caused all of this and the potential stories behind it. But again, behind that are really thousands of other uh, heroic stories. And one of the lessons I think we can all say that we're learning is that human beings, we've learned this, I think, from Katrina, from, uh, not Katrina, from Maria, from Irma, 
and from the Las Vegas shootings and what happened in Puerto Rico uh, because of the hurricanes, people can handle a lot more than they think they can. Yeah. If you if I told you that you I mean, even you thinking about having to go through the Las Vegas shooting, your brain is like, I couldn't handle that. I, I mean, that's that would be horrible. But you know what? If you were in that situation, you'd have to handle it. And there was 22,000 people that handled it, 500 and something that were injured, and, um, and then all the families that are handling it. So whether we want to handle these things or not, apparently one of the good uh, little messages that we can all take away is we can handle it. Even if we think we can't, we can. So um, that tells us something about our humanity, and I, I just want to make sure that we're paying attention to that. I also want to make sure we don't give too much I, I still don't like using the guy's name. Mm-hmm. He who must not be named, we'll call him. But it's there's there's just there's people that are just broken, and we need to pay attention. Um, and you know, I guess do whatever we can along the way. But it, there's still just going to be people that are broken, and that we are vulnerable as human beings. That's how that works. Uh, let's get to our headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country? What else should we be paying attention to? Senator Bob Corker, Tennessee, said Wednesday the Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, Defense Secretary James Mattis, and White House Chief of Staff John Kelly helped separate the country from chaos. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. oh chaos? Yeah. Is that a code name? No, no, no. What he's saying is those are like the three guys that are kind of keeping the nation uh, from falling into some sort of but who, bigger problem. Well, who would be creating chaos? Their boss. Was, so I think what Corker's That's what they're saying. To. There's code. These three men are the key wall between chaos and the country. And then other people are like, this isn't chaos. It's going to get worse if these guys step away. So, I don't know. We'll see. But the wow. Senate Foreign Relations Committee chairman, his latest shot at the commander-in-chief and his, and his party's leader, Corker, added that Tillerson in particular ends up not being supported in the way I would hope a secretary of state would be supported. His comments come in light of a report that said that Tillerson called Trump a moron and considered resigning. That moron, it, he didn't actually, I mean. He's not saying he re- said that. He says, well, actually, he did not not say that yeah. he said it either. He <laughs> said, I'm not going to get into that sort of, you know, back and forth that way. Also, the report was actually amended. He actually said it was something moron. There was an oh. expletive oh. moron. Oh. So it's even, even more colorful. Mm. Tillerson said Wednesday morning that the report, which he didn't outright deny, was nonsense, and he was committed to the Trump administration. So, mm trying to smooth all that out as he continues to try to stop North Korea from going bonkers that way. The Trump yeah. administration on Wednesday asked U.S. lawmakers to approve $29 billion in disaster relief funds to assist victims of recent hurricanes hit in Texas, Florida, and Puerto Rico. The aid request includes $12.8 billion in new funds to help storm victims, $16 billion to defray debt in the federal government's flood insurance program. The White House said the program would reach the limit of its borrowing authority late this month. The administration also wants another $576 million to, uh, to help pay for fighting wildfires in the western United States. The White House said the disaster funding will ensure it has enough funds to provide support through December 31st and earlier this week had about $10 billion on hand. The White House told Congress it's committing $200 million a day for recovery efforts. Mm. Well, bad so, news. Apparently there's another hur- hurricane. Yeah. That- Forming out in the Gulf. Tropical or, Storm 16 or whatever the yeah. number is 
But it might eventually work its way to Florida and Alabama is the tentative. It's the idea. After it wanders through a bunch of places that were already hit yeah. by other hurricanes. Mm. So, uh, Twitter will go under oath. An official with the social media giant uh, reports on Wednesday that it will participate in an open hearing before the Senate Intelligence Committee scheduled for November 1st. The hearing is expected to uh, focus on the committee's investigation of the Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. Facebook and Google have also been invited, and a Facebook official told CNN Wednesday they will appear for the hearing. So, what what does a what does a what does Twitter sound like when it's under oath? When it's like taking the oath, like a, like a lawyer, like the, like a guy that runs a company, sits in an office, and wonders why. He oh, it's can't. a lawyer doing it. Well, need, I, it's, it's not the actual bird. I think they no. need a bird whisperer in the courtroom. Do you feel like? <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah, I don't know how. See, yeah. the problem is they show up and then they try not to implicate themselves in doing anything. Do you know what's weird? Untoward. And yeah. So it's not really like the truth. It's a version of it. So but we'll see. We always hear all this talk about Twitter. And yeah. I'm not on Twitter. No. And I don't. It's too exhausting. There's too many hashtag forward slashes, backslashes, well, dots. You can go sit in the corner and think about breathing or something. It's actually what I do. Okay, good. Do you use Twitter? Tweet us. At Dr. Matt And so that goes to Terry. Yeah. And then I look at it and go, huh, sometimes and, I even respond because maybe, you know, you're funny. Yeah. Other it, times, eh. Meh. So we get people like, they'll, they'll point out when I read a, a news story that's obviously a fake news story. I say, thank you. Oh, are you the judge of fake news now? Well, no, there's sometimes it's just, just a, a story somebody made up because it's funny. <laughs> Those, by the way, that's the best on Twitter. We would when never do that. Whenever, yeah. Who would make up a story? Right. But on Twitter, when they make up the story, those are pretty funny headlines. And Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, reach out. Let us know. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, researchers believe they may have found the final resting place of St. Nick. Old St. Nick? Yeah. A recent scan of the underground. Hold on. Bo- did he die? The guy that the whole idea of St. Nick is based on. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant the St. Nick. He didn't die, but he was forced to retire because of, you know, he's too he old. <laughs> Yeah, keep it, was, going. It, it was the Elf Union. They forced him out. A recent scan of the ground beneath St. Nicholas Church in the Turkish province of Anatolia has revealed what locals, local officials say could be a secret tomb. They believe the tomb could belong to the popular Christian saint who helped inspire the legendary character of Santa Claus. Oh. The discovery was made using ground-penetrating radar amid local speculation that St. Nicholas, who was born in the church's town of Demri, yeah, previously known as Myra, could be buried there. So the head of uh, the monument authority for the church expressed high hopes for what what may lie there. We believe the shrine has not been damaged at all, but it's quite difficult to get to as there are mosaics on the floor. Hmm. So the process of excavating the ground is expected to take time with the workers first having to carefully loosen and then remove each of the tiles in the mosaics Ah. so they can then cross it and actually get to the the tomb where they think St. Nicholas may be buried. Sounds like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Except not as cool because you're like removing individual mosaic tiles instead of just running from boulders. I see. Which is harder, honestly, removing mosaic tiles that are like, uh, you know, priceless. Sure. Or... Mm -hmm. Linoleum with a lot of glue. Ooh, I saw the guys remove linoleum in my house. That yeah. was tough. I know. I, I would really go with the mosaic it. tiles any day. Have you ever had figgy pudding, by the way? Yes. Yep. It was growing on my uh, jeans. Was it so good that you refused to leave until you got some? No. I have had... Um, That's kind of rude. 
Yeah. You just stand. I mean, you, as you, a guest, you're demanding. Yeah, you're giving pudding. an ultimatum. Yeah. I've I'm had not plum leave. pudding. I've had. I guess that's. Is that the same thing? It is so good. Really, I'm pretty sure it was plum pudding. Hmm. So, oh. Hmm. Mm. I pretty much stick with like chocolate, vanilla. But it's not. And this pistachio. was pistachio. This was more like a cake with a puddingish topping on it. That. Mm-hmm. It was super figgy. All right. We're trying to bring up the level of the show by having some opera music. Yeah. I wonder if it works. I think we're going to need more than opera music. <laughs> hey, I got another update, uh, Jeff, about uh, from some people downstairs while I was having my photo shoot. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. They said we sound- So we all had to have our photos taken. Oh, yeah. Did we not talk about this? It was an official decree from on high. Yeah. Well, from on middle management high. I mean, no, there, I there's, mean well, there's on high. That's heaven. Yeah. <laughs> And then there's. I'm just our, talking about from the, the the C-suite upstairs. Yeah. So from our on high, so third yeah. third floor, we're on second floor. They're yeah. on third floor. Right. Not. I'm not talking like high high. Well, yeah, yeah. I wasn't yeah. either. I That's okay. on the H floor. Yeah. It's on the heaven floor. <laughs> but uh, a lot of people said, "Hey, love listening to the show." This was downstairs. Um, really? Most just, of the people I talked to were like, "What? You have a show?" No, you not. Uh, uh, yeah. Me too. This was in the hall. Ah. These were all the. These are actually the guys that run all of the TV. Media uh, audio. Rooms. Oh, okay. Gotcha, so, gotcha. But they're like, love the show, but we can't tell the difference between you and Jeff. No, come they, on. They said that again. That's like the 10th time I've heard it. It's a concern. So I want to see if you could maybe start using another voice. Hmm. Hmm. Daffy Duck? No. <laughs> I don't want to. I mean, I want him to be able to be credible. Okay. So. Credible? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But somehow if you could start. Throwing out another voice, maybe an accent. Do you have an accent? Those always go over well. I I've spoken Russian Not on the show. One. Not that one. No, no, no? that no. one sounds like me. Yeah. Um. Nope, that sounds like me. Maybe try a little Russian. Maybe just something with a little Russian accent. As mm. let's just try it for a little bit. And I want to see if if we fi- if we get some feedback from people. Isn't that going to get super annoying super fast? You would think that if you enjoyed the sound of your own voice, you would want people to hear it even more on the show. Yeah, but then people think I'm talking to myself. Is that such a bad thing? No, see, try it in a different voice. Just say that in a different – say that very phrase <laughs> in a different voice. Is that such a bad thing? Wow. No, see that don't you yeah. think that makes a difference? Yeah, that really differentiates the two properties here. Yeah. I, I just keep hearing it as I walk around and I don't know what to do about it except I can't change I'm too old to change. Hmm. I'm forty eight. I've had my voice It is your show also. Oh yeah. So do we need to be pushing you out? <laughs> Are you approaching that age? <laughs> you yet? know what? We've I, had an independent board of review and you're too old. There to has been it. some scuttle about that. But I just work on it. Just see if you can I I'm with Terry oh, using though. So many again. so many of the other people down there said the same thing to me. Like, oh, there's yeah. a Matt Townsend show. Yeah, like they know who Matt no, Townsend they're is. They're not employees. Those were people that were just doing the photo shoot. But I'm talking about employees from BYU Radio or BYU Broadcasting, and it's it really is. I hear it a lot. Hmm. I hear it a lot. In fact, my very own company posted a show as I as if I were the one hosting it. And it wasn't even me hosting it. And they posted it and said, hey, come listen to Matt's latest show on this topic. And you were the one doing the interview. <laughs> nice. My own people. My wow. wife. My wife said, I think I like Jeff's voice more. 
Wow. Yeah. She said that. Look at that. Mm-hmm. And, but she said the Russian voice. Yeah. I mean, the Russian's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Really good. Yeah. It's even better than like Sean Connery, who didn't even try in Hunt oh. for Red October. Can you do Sean Connery? Uh, do Sean I, Connery not doing a Russian accent as a sub-captain? I just remember him in that movie Dragonheart, yeah. where Dennis Quaid says, I'll roam the earth till I rid every, to rid the earth of every last one of you. And Sean Connery says, I am the last one. He's a dragon. Okay. Wow. In the movie. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. See, again, I don't watch movies. I mean, I do watch movies, but I don't pay attention to them. Not that closely. No. I'm realizing I don't pay attention to anything. I couldn't uh, – anyway, I, I don't I, – I listen to music, but I don't know who sings it. Yeah, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. I watch shows, but I don't mm-hmm. remember the names of them. I don't know any names of hardly any actors. Yeah. But I do love the Kardashians. Well, I mean, I guess you have that going for you. <laughs> it's half the battle. Uh, let's get to our empty news headlines. Jeffrey, what's going on in the empty news area? The empty news team. First on the scene. Fifth on facts. So, so many of our stories have to do with men behaving badly that I thought I would highlight a couple of stories that uh, that showcase women behaving badly. But women don't behave badly. Well, in this case, they do. Okay. So, uh, you know, a lot of people in the office will just choose the passive-aggressive route when mm-hmm. they seem to have a beef with another employee. Happens all the time. Pretty oh, yeah. much in every office. Right. Probably this one, too. No names. Uh, Two employees at a North Macon, Georgia McDonald's were cited for disorderly conduct after they fought over job assignments Monday morning. Oh, boy. You know what they were arguing over? What were they fighting about? Biscuit making. uh, That's hard. So uh, 25-year-old Davina Wimbish, who uh, said she got into a fight with her co-worker, Kitsit Magruder. Who? Sounds like a fake name. Over making biscuits. Wimbish told the deputy she was called in to work a few hours early to make biscuits since Magruder wasn't there. Two mm. hours later, Magruder came into work and was upset Wimbish was doing her job. Hey, I do the biscuits! A manager then assigned her a different task. The two women began to argue and Wimbish said Magruder pushed her, so she punched her back before a third employee separated the two. Ooh. Magruder told the deputy that Wimbish came up uh, to her and bumped her, so she pushed her back, and that's when she punched. Yeah. See, that's the same kind of the same thing happens at home. Let me stop really quickly and say I never strike my wife, Thank and you. she never Thank strikes you. me. Yes, but it is frustrating for a man to see his woman do all of the his work woman. that he's supposed to be doing. His female partner, spouse. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you feel guilty, so you mm-hmm. say, stop doing that. Stop. Let stop me take that. the garbage I'll out. do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Women behaving badly over biscuits. But in a, in a way, it's good because you don't have to wonder what the other is thinking. That's right. Right. You know. They, you they're know. not taking the passive-aggressive the passive aggressive And you know it's not going to end with police being called. That's true. See, that's good. Yeah. That's really good. So here's another one. Uh, have you heard – you've heard of wedding crashers? Yeah. Have you heard of funeral – The movie or the no, people that No, not the movie. Do. The people yeah. that do oh, it. Oh, yeah. Have you heard of funeral crashes? Crashers. Crashers. No. Yeah. That, seems, that seems wrong. So there's this UK – phantom UK mourner who goes to every funeral at a local church to eat the food at the wake – and she's been slammed by grieving relatives. It is claimed the unnamed woman has joined mourners at almost every funeral for the last 14 years. 
She even chats to grieving family members. And at one recent funeral, she ate the buffet food like there is no tomorrow. See, is that apparently. it? Is she going for the food or is she really just going to serve? Well, hold on. She's going to give an excuse here in a second. It was revealed today that the bogus mourner is known to the local priest who said he had spoken to her and gleaned that she believes it is her duty to attend as many church masses as possible. Oh, it's her duty. <laughs> Uh, The bemused priest added that he could not stop her attending funerals, adding, I can't exactly say you can't come here. Yeah. But that just seems like a whole other level of insensitivity. Well, I think what you need, obviously, is like you need a bouncer. You need a funeral bouncer that checks to see if she's on the list. And then if not, you bounce her. That's a good point. But maybe maybe you could still let her pay respects, but keep her away from the buffet table. I will say at least she's not a wedding crasher. Some some people not only crash weddings, but some people will crash a wedding and steal the gifts of the bride and groom. That's uh, a real thing. Yeah, that's horrible. Um, but yeah, this is weird. I mean, it would be even weirder if they were stealing the the corpse. But yeah, but yeah. that would be that would have a different name, right? That yeah. That would be a grave robber, a grave digger. Well, it'd be more like a parlor robber. Yeah. Anyway, we've got one more story. Um, I'll just going to – I'll summarize it real quick. Okay. There's this Russian Burger King that wants to ban the movie It because Pennywise the clown from the movie It looks just like Ronald McDonald. And so they are claiming that – the movie It is creating more business for McDonald's, which I take issue with because yeah. you have the scary clown. Why would people want to go to an establishment that has a scary clown? But no, he's not scary. He's not? No. He's nice. It or uh, Ronald McDonald? Oh, I'm talking Ronald. Hmm. No, It is terrifying. Yeah. Ronald, what a stud. And why are they going after the movie It instead of after McDonald's? Maybe McDonald's is too powerful to take on. Hey, maybe a better point is why does Ronald McDonald have those, you know, those really pronounced puffy legs? You know and how those his gigantic shoes. Yeah. He's, he's hiding something. He's got something going on. Scary. Infection. You know what they could do? What? Burger this Russian Burger King could hire uh Bob the Clowny Hunter to take care oh, of this problem. Yeah. Love that guy. Okay. I'm here today at the North Pine Mall. There have been reported sightings of several particularly suspicious-looking clowns. So, I'm going to check it out and take these punks down. I'm the Bob, the Big Bad Bob, the Clown Hunter. Oh, oh, there they are. Looks like there are three of them. They're standing in a line with a bunch of normal-looking people. It's probably only a matter of time before they start terrorizing everyone. Oh, they look downright evil. What is it about malls that attracts these sickos? Okay, let's go get them. Hey there, my fellow partners in silliness. What you doing? Oh, hey, we're just here for the show. I've got a show for you right here. You know, it's clowns like you that give serious, hard-working clowns a bad name. All right, so it turns out that the group of clowns I apprehended were actually at the mall to see a new clown movie, and they're really big fans. But my lawyers have informed me that the film is about a killer clown, so serves them right. (laughs) 
Looks like we've gotten some more scumbags off the streets. I'm the Bob, the Big Bad Bob, the Clowny Hunter. Welcome back, friends. You know, Corey Stevens and his wife started with nothing and built their men's shoe company to be worth $15 million. How did they do it? Well, CEO and founder of Taft Shoe Company, Corey Stevens, is joining us on the phone today to talk about how he was able to manage such a feat and really to do it all on a, kind of a, a shoestring budget. Corey, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks, Matt. It's great to, great to be with you. This is a really, I think, cool story. As a business owner myself, um, I, what you and Mallory have been able to do, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty impressive. I think uh, in the end, what, what, do you, what do you sense was the key? Because there's a lot of people trying to start, have a startup business, but I think very few of us are able, able to actually take it to a level where it's valued at $15 million so fast. Yeah, I would definitely say, uh, you know, shoes is such a competitive market with with some massive, massive companies that we're competing against. And so in order to build something and kind of get off the ground, it had to be different. And so I would I would really say that our the uniqueness of the product and doing something different than all these bigger shoe companies is what has allowed us to get our foot in the door. And then now with a great team, we can kind of, you know, push it and start scaling. How big is your team? Uh, we have five full-time employees right now, so still super small, but that's but great. More than just me and my wife. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things I think that, that it's, is unique, um, by the way, the name of the company is taftclothing.com is the website where you can go find it. But, I mean, also, what, how did this start? Because as I look at it, I, I couldn't imagine even putting a shoe together, uh, let alone having the, the, the I guess, the – the strength to think I could design a shoe, get it all done, and and distribute it to what you now have like thirty thousand customers, right? Yeah, I mean, I, the the designing part is uh, it's just kind of I'm not I'm not a shoe designer by trade. I studied linguistics in, in at university, so I'm not like a shoe a shoe guy, a lifer in the shoe industry or anything like that. I just design what I know people will like, um, try and make it different, and uh, you know, then we just then we just get creative with our marketing and and try and push it. But yeah, the, the uniqueness of the shoes is is the key for us to to be able to compete with people with a lot more money and and much bigger teams. How how did you how did you start it? I mean, companies cost money, and I'm I'm assuming running it running even one line of shoes would cost a lot of money to get that to get that paid for. Yeah, definitely. So we, we launched a Kickstarter campaign in 2014 for men's no-show socks. So the socks that, that don't show when you're wearing, you know, loafers or topsiders or boat shoes. So we did a Kickstarter. We raised like $50,000 there. And then we, about a year later, after building up a good social media following and kind of product testing in front of our audience and seeing what they liked, then in November of 2015, we launched our first shoes, but it was only on pre-order. So we were able to, to to get the money before we even went into production, and that's what allowed us uh, to get going. Because shoes, I mean, the cost to produce a sock is 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 a few dollars. Cost to produce shoes is 
in the hundreds of dollars. So oh, wow. it was a big jump, and it took some time to build up um, the audience to where we could. We felt like taking that leap and 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 raising our costs costs did, to produce so drastically. Did you? Um, did you? Was this planned? Like, did you sit there and think someday? I'm going to have a mini shoe no, empire. No way. No way. What no, were you what I, were I'm you actually, thinking? I'm I'm super like risk averse. Being being an entrepreneur is, is definitely against what how my brain is wired. So it's it's a constant temptation. If we have a bad day at Taft, it's a constant temptation is to panic and go get a job at some yeah. big company that has a four oh one K and a pension plan. Um so it's it's not it was not in the plans but it but it ended up being the right decision for me and my family. And so I braved, braved the entrepreneurship waters, and, and here we are a couple of years in and being able for, to provide for my family. What's it like? Because with only five employees, does, does Mallory play a big part in the, in the company? What does she do? So operationally on a daily basis, she is not as involved as I am. We have two little ones at home. And they keep they're they're much more they're a full time job plus some, so she she's she's thankfully a, a wonderful stay at home mom most of the time, and then when we need her she comes in, and she's involved in in all of the big picture questions all of the strategy stuff, um, this is what we talk about over dinner this is what we talk about as we're laying in bed at night, it's all about tap so so she's involved in everything but she doesn't doesn't necessarily execute it operationally every day. Yeah. And because uh, that, that, there's a lot of pressure, right, in small business too because for, for a long time, I know you weren't – you were just putting most of the money right back into the company. And it's yeah. got to be tempting yeah. too once you start making some money to want to keep taking more and more out. But how, how do you balance that fine line of you know, keeping – staying self-funded instead of like being tempted away with all the big investors? Yeah, so for me, I mean, we're, we're growing so quickly that that every dollar that we can leave in the business, we can turn into four or five dollars every year. Yeah. And so any dollar I take out equals a dollar, but every dollar I leave in is going to be five dollars in a year. And so so we just really focus on on staying super super lean so that we don't have to take money out. Our overhead costs are super low. We have a tiny little office space. We run very lean so that we can multiply those dollars times five, you know, hopefully every year. No, oh, it's such a, it's really such a cool story because, um, again, and I like and I, I try to highlight a business, you know, regularly about about what generates success because um, there's so many people that try to start something and they fail. And yet uh, you you also have been able to accumulate like three hundred and fifty thousand uh, followers on Instagram and social media has played a big role. How how have you been able to leverage that? Well, so, I mean, the the cool thing about social media is it's essentially free. Um, and so when when we're looking at competing with companies like Allen Edmonds or Nike, you know, these huge companies with billions of dollars, um, we can't compete with them on a just a just spend to acquire customers. But social media. Uh, is is free, and so we look to Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Snapchat. We look to these free channels to to have our competitive advantage. When when because do, dollars, just money, 
doesn't doesn't give you success on social media. It's creativity. It's great content. It's 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 you can't you can't fake a following on social media. Mm-hmm. So that's where we kind of level the playing field with these with these companies that have much bigger budgets than we do, and and we leverage it on a daily basis. I mean, we have what big shoe companies are trying to get. They have they have all the money in the world, but they don't have what we have on social media, and that's what's important to people now. And so they're going to eventually struggle to reach to reach a younger audience because the younger audiences are on social media. Yeah. Well, and what that's what's so interesting about it too is to have as many followers as you do that are like actively looking at every new release, every new and even giving you feedback like, "Hey, really that jack boot needs to come in charcoal gray." Um mm-hmm. all of a sudden I can sit there and think, "Boy, to to really be uh so connected and able to innovate on what your actual buyers are doing, um, that is a competitive advantage. Do you worry that growing is going to is going to create a problem for you where you might lose some of that connectedness? I mean, no, I, I, I don't. Just to be, just to be super honest, I because I I still personally manage the social media myself. I think that it's it's so important and so valuable, and I like to be there to get the feedback and to see the comments and to see the reviews. And so I still manage all of that on my own, um, and it's something I keep and will keep very close to me. I, as we start to spend more money and reach a wider net of, of you know, cast a wider net, we're going to start getting people that aren't loyal to the brand. They just like the shoes. And then it's our job to educate and convert the people not only to the shoe designs, but to the brand and, and to the story and to what we're trying to do. And so through the purchase process from going to our or seeing an ad, going to our site, buying a pair of shoes, getting some emails, uh, you know, getting a handwritten note, seeing us on social media, all of those things. Sure, at the beginning, they might not be loyal to the brand, but, but by the end of the purchase process, we hope that they love their shoes and also love the brand. That's cool. And you uh, – what I think is powerful is you probably have more goodwill with your audience where you you probably can afford to make mistakes. Uh, they seem a little more forgiving because you've spent so much time fostering the relationship. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's a community. It's not – these people want us to succeed. They want good products. They want to like us. Um, so, yeah, they're definitely more forgiving – uh, because we're just open, we're honest, we're we're transparent, and that transparency buys us trust and confidence and and some forgiveness if we make mistakes. So you've pretty much grown it to about a five million dollar company. You're still bootstrapping it, running from your you know from smaller uh, uh, locations. And have you had have you had interest from some of the bigger players that are wanting to come in and buy you, or from VCs that want to throw a lot of money at you? We, yeah, we, we have a lot of interest, definitely weekly. People are hitting us up. But, really? But at, we're, yeah, but we're just growing so fast. It's like, we don't, if, if we don't need it, then, then that equity and that ownership is, is, is very valuable to me and our team. And, and we, at this point, we're, we don't need to raise money wouldn't solve any of the problems that we have. It's not money. And so until money is the issue, 
uh, we are going to just keep our heads down and keep working and be in the trenches every day and uh, just keep growing. Yeah. What are you noticing about um, the, the benefits of of owning your own business? What's the plus side and the downside if you were going to give advice to people that were inquiring? The plus side, I mean, I, we started the company, my wife and I started the company because as I was about to graduate from school, the job prospects would have required me to be away a lot. Um, you know, I, wa- I wanted to get into management consulting, and after doing my research, I realized that that was not the lifestyle I wanted. My wife was pregnant, and, and we were about to graduate, and so we decided that we wanted to do something that would allow us to be together more than, you know, life doesn't have to be you leave at 8.30 a.m. and come back at 5.30 p.m. and you eat dinner and you go to sleep. You know, it doesn't have to look that way, but but a lot of people think it does. And so owning your own business allows you to to really build and mold your lifestyle and what you want your life to look like. I work I work probably more than I would have doing management consulting right now. You know, right yeah. now I'm probably working 100 hours a week. Mm. But but if my son, if I want to take my son to preschool that he just started, then I'm going to leave the office at 11 and I'm going to go take him to preschool. If I have a doctor's appointment, I can go to a doctor's appointment. If I want to take yesterday, our COO took the day off just to go on a hike with his family and get a new dog. You know, those <laughs> are all things great. that if we, if we had the pressure of VCs and investors hounding us, you know, we, we might not be able to do that. But, but, but there's no point in starting a business if you can't build it into something that you love and, and allows you to really live your life the way you want to. Mm, it's so true. I mean, otherwise, what are you building, right? I mean, Exactly. What's the point, man? You might as well not do it if, if, if you can't really be doing what you want to do and, and being, you know, breaking the mold of corporate America. And inspiring others, too. I mean, one, one thing I think about young couples like you that are that are taking it on this way, we live in the perfect age to do this and to do it because you don't even need to do all the backfilling of the – I mean, you can now outsource – certain parts of your business that really aren't your forte. And um, is that what you're trying to do as well? Uh, we, we do outsource some things. We outsource fulfillment. We, you know, we're not, a, we're not a warehouse and shipping masters. So we outsource, we certainly outsource some things. Um, and then the, the important things that we are, that are our competitive advantages, we keep in-house and we, we keep the creative team really tight to, to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're spot on. It's it's we do outsource some stuff, but we keep other things closer. Yeah. Again, we're speaking with Corey Stevens, um, uh, who is the CEO and founder of Taft Shoe Company. Uh, Corey and his wife Mallory have have basically, with a Kickstarter campaign in 2014, now built a company with 30,000 uh, customers or more and 350 plus social media followers as they're now designing shoes. They started designing socks from socks to shoes to boots. Uh, where else are you going to be taking this, Corey? What's we're next? Really focus, we're, we're focusing on shoes. Um, we're, we, you know, we've, we've made some, a lot of noise in some ways in the shoe industry, which is a massive market. And so we're going to stay really narrow and focused and do that. Uh, but I am wearing an article of clothing today. That's a sample. Yeah. Um, I'm wearing it right now. So, I mean, our, our domain is taftclothing.com, so it kind of gives you an idea of, of where my vision was at the beginning. And uh, Taft, we hope to build it into a, a, a an empire of 
of, of a lot of great products. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What advice would you give, just as we wrap up, uh, what advice would you give any – it's funny, any new person leaving college, which was what, you, three years ago, um, what, mm-hmm. would you, what advice would you give them in a startup and, and to, to really have a, a fair shot of making it work? I would say um, we, we've lost a couple employees here, a couple early employees here uh, to to the need to go get a you know a formal official looking job. You know, corporate America need to get that on the resume. Um, you know, big big Fortune 500 company it has to be on your resume to be successful. If I don't land that kind of job right out of college, then I'm not going to make it. That's that's. That's how our parents thought, mm-hmm. but that is no longer the case. Um, and and uh, you know, if I were giving advice to those employees that left Taft early because they thought that Taft wouldn't be great on their resume, Taft, you know, small small startups mm-hmm. are amazing, and that kind of experience is so valuable. And me as an as an employer, I would value the experience that someone gets at a startup over the experience at a Fortune 500 company. So mm. to, to kind of sum it up, I would just say, don't, you know, whatever you learned in school isn't necessarily true. It doesn't have to look a certain way. Going to work at a startup or starting your own thing that even fails, you learn so much more than, than I would if I was just some analyst at a Fortune 500 company. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and have the guts to do it. And I mean, it is. It's one of the hardest things I've done is running a business, and it never seems to get easier. You always keep thinking, oh, that'll eventually get easier. But the bigger you get, the more successful you get, the harder it gets. Corey Stevens, thank you. Uh, And Mallory as as well, your wife and your great work there at uh, Taft Clothing Company. Go to taftclothing.com and see what really success looks like from a startup. I mean, building a company into what is now valued at a $15 million company in just a few years, pretty powerful stuff. We'll continue the journey, folks, doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Leave all, friends. You know, we've all been kind of going on this roller coaster uh, with every hurricane that comes through from Irma to Maria and then the shootings in Las Vegas. A lot of pressure on all of us. And and then other issues with political unrest, with the, the kneeling situation, uh, with our NFL athletes. People are upside down and a lot of us just don't know where where we belong, where we fit. And so one of the things I wanted to work on uh, in our little coaching corner today is to talk about um, a, a few truths about being a human being that that life can teach us. Okay. So, and, and we've seen them in the disasters. There's been incredible story after story. So here's four basic truths that I want to make sure we all are very clear of. Number one truth about being a human being is we can all handle more than we think we can. Uh, most of us would be afraid to have to go through a scenario like uh, the hurricane that Puerto Rico's had to go through. Um, and, and it, you know, it would be one thing to be afraid that you might die in it. It's another thing like could you make it through the hurricane but then have to rebuild your entire home, lose all of your possessions? And I hear a lot of people say, oh, I could never do that. 
or I could never uh, I could never get through the the shooting that that, uh, that we saw in Las Vegas. Um, that would just be too much for me. That would just be too traumatic. And I think what we're finding out is human resiliency is is incalculable. You can't estimate uh, your ability to do it. But the reality is. It's hard. Um, it's hard to actually think ahead to what you could handle because we don't tend to measure forward how well we do anything. Most of us don't predict very well uh, who we really are and what we do. So the reality is, if you were forced into any of those situations and you had to live it in the moment, in the present, you you would you would be able to handle it and. You'd have no other choice, right? And you wouldn't try to handle it all in one lump sum. You would handle it literally one minute at a time. And as you handle it one minute at a time, you seemingly are more able to handle it, right? Uh, In the shootings, they didn't need to handle the whole situation. They needed to handle that first second, then the second second, then the third second, then the fourth second. And you do whatever you can do in the moment. So one of the rules about a human uh, that I think all of us need to remember is – we can handle more and um, we can handle anything that's going on. Even when you feel like you're at the brink and you can't, you got to trust in your ability to make it through some of these difficult times and just know and, and just trust that if you were, if it was thrust upon you, you would step up and you would handle it. Whether a natural disaster, a tragedy in your life, the loss of somebody you care about, it's a real basic human ability. Another is that needing help is what makes us human. A lot of us are really afraid of being vulnerable, and it might go back to the age-old issues of, uh, I mean, I, the, the story I always refer to is Adam and Eve, right? They were naked, and they noticed their nakedness. Right after they partook of the fruit, they noticed the nakedness. And that nakedness in my world is another name for that is vulnerable. And as human beings, we hate being vulnerable. We hate it, which is why all of these tragedies are so difficult for us, because we don't like the idea of knowing that we're so vulnerable. We'd like to pretend like we're not. So we tend to put up facades. We tend to, you know, judge others. We tend to do all of these other things that make us seem stronger than we are. But it all is torn away from us when a hurricane goes over and you're absolutely vulnerable and you have nothing but the clothes on your back. And um, then you realize, ah, now I'm needy. Now I need something. But one rule and one thing I've learned through just watching some of these tragedies is the the crazy reality that we are all needy. We are all one disaster away from from really understanding how basic we are. So maybe it would be easier for a lot of us if we started spending more time accepting the fact that you're vulnerable and even sharing your vulnerability with other people. Talk to people. And that might be a really healthy thing to be doing after uh, you look at the the stories about the shootings. Share how vulnerable you feel and find somebody, that, a significant other, somebody you care about that you could actually open up and share your vulnerable um, side with so that being vulnerable isn't such a isn't such a, you know, a difficult position for you. Another example of uh, humanity being taught through life are the fact that people's hearts are so inherently good. Story after story in the disaster relief uh, that you heard all through Houston, that you heard in Florida, that you heard throughout the the uh, the Caribbean, people are good. And I think in the end, we like to always talk about the titillating, titillating, exciting story of the one who causes so much damage, the shooter, for example. But in reality, there were hundreds, if not thousands of good examples of good people doing good things. In the end, humans, humans are good. We're inherently good. 
when we're pushed to our 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 hardest points, a lot of good will appear because that is, I think, what what truly exists. And if you don't believe me, all you need to do is go read the stories about. Uh, the heroes there. And last but not least, one of the greatest lessons I think we all need to remember is the simple idea that we are going to succeed or fail together. If you're not learning that lesson through all of the d- disasters and the tragedies you're seeing in the news, then you then you need to pay attention. We are going to fail or succeed together. Gun control or whatever the gun issues are going to become, we are going to succeed or fail on that issue together. Healthcare, we're going to succeed or fail together. We are going to suffer this together because we are incredibly connected and you're never going to separate the connection. Every one of us um, suffer when people around us are suffering and you may not feel like you're suffering, but if you give it another week, that suffering will eventually make it to your uh, doorstep. So if we can't get together, then we're going to have to do it alone. And when you do it alone, you're going to pay a price because eventually you're going to see you can't do it by yourself. So let's be careful. And let's also remember, humans, we've been at this a long time, and uh, we're, we're, we're pretty good at it, actually, whether you, whether you remember all the lessons or not. We'll continue the journey, folks. Remember, the goal of the show is to help you be the good in the world. Uh, up next, we're going to do a little empty news. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. It's time to head to, to the empty news desk. <laughs> empty meaning Matt Townsend news desk, not uh, devoid of people. Have you ever had a job that you were so excited for that you were willing to do anything to get it? No. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah, maybe. All right. The well, uh, there's a guy who decided that he was going to apply for a job. While on the run from police. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. So Massachusetts State Police said the man they arrested Tuesday was in a hurry to get away from them, but not such a hurry that he couldn't stop to check if a local business was hiring. (laughs) State Police said they were involved in a car chase with Jose Jimenez, 26, of Lawrence, and that the chase ended after he ditched the car and ran inside a wireless cell phone store. Uh, Let's see... uh, so the employee said Jimenez ran inside the store, spoke with multiple people to ask if he had any position, if they had any positions available, then started filling out an application. No way. That was probably the fastest application filling out yeah. ever. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Does he not? Come on. So at that point, uh, the employee said, we're hearing police helicopters outside. There's police <laughs> coming in from every direction. According to officials, police walked in and saw Jimenez filling out an application Trooper Gabriel went up to him and said, let's go. Let's go. Dude. Jimenez replied, did I get the go. job? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, so, no. So how, how soon until I know? Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm kind of filling out an application here. Yeah, we'll get back to you. <laughs> so I, you know, obvi- clearly it's probably not so much that he was interested in working there, but just trying to find a place to hide out from the cops and you know, right. look like he's doing something low key. Yeah, he was, and apparently he was very calm and collected. There's no way he's getting that job. <laughs> Do you have any references, officer? Can I put you on this? Yeah. <laughs> can I just finish my application? Well, just... you know, you know where to find me uh, yeah. when you want to get a hold of me. 
Yeah, it's so good. Such uh, such funny things these criminals do when they're running away from police. We'll continue the journey with you, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry South and Jeff Simpson. The gang is gathered and, uh, boy... Got a lot of lot, got a lot of stuff to get through today. We're going to be doing a revisit uh, interview, um, talking about really when we do the revisits. It's usually because it's not that we're lazy; it's because these issues are huge tantrums. We still we had a tantrum problem in with our team. Uh, some people were throwing tantrums, and wrong. We, and we brought in uh, Stuart Shanker a few months ago to help us with that. We still we, we wanted to revisit it because we're still having tantrum problems. You're wrong. And uh, that, I don't want to name names, Jeff, but hmm? um, you know we need to work on our tantrums. You don't ever throw a tantrum; you just play a Trump quote. What's that about? Wrong. <laughs> tantrums are puzzling because they're usually brought on by. Something that you don't think is really that big a deal. Yeah, it's just it's then, just your broccoli. All of a sudden, the kids on the it was over chocolate milk last night. You he, or him? Him. What, what do you mean, you? I don't know. I was just wondering. No, he's on the floor crying. I'm like, what do you? <clears throat> and then I can't talk yeah. to him. Yeah, because you go over and talk, and make you make it worse. It's so interesting. But your kids, when they're throwing a tantrum, there's at least they're emoting. Yeah. They're com- they're sharing something. When just, they're a teenager, they just roll their eyes and. <sighs> I just enjoy when he does it in his room with the door closed so it's not so loud. Ah, uh, you're that kind of dad. So I went, okay, pick Go him up. Go to your room. Oh, you well, I, I carried him. He's, he's, oh, how nice. He was a, a bucket of goo. You're like a valet service. Yeah. You deliver, we deliver discipline to your doorstep. Yeah. That's so. nice. Yeah, I couldn't lift my kids. So we'll be talking about how to stop tantrums before they start, mm. which uh, you know may be necessary, especially as you look at what's going on in Washington, D.C., a lot of people now um, are, are saying Tillerson, uh, our Secretary of State, is struggling with President Trump. There may be a um, a pact, like uh, I don't know what we want. They call it a suicide pact, but yeah. if one of them goes, they're all going to leave together with Mattis. See, that's a unifying pact. Mattis, Kelly, Kelly, and uh, Tillerson, and Tillerson. But Tillerson's, which would be State Defense and. Chief of, staff. chief of staff. It would be a really big problem. But um, but again, Tillerson's even saying, I'm not there, – there's not a problem. He doesn't say that. He just doesn't address the question. I'm not going to deal with stuff like that. He yeah. actually is confused why Washington is uh, perplexed with that kind of stuff. Did you call him a name? But, it's a bunch of junior high type of uh, yeah. situations. But, I mean, if you did call the president a moron or, as the report has added to it – Some other name it makes moron. It uh, makes it kind of – you know, a, hmm. a horrible situation to try to have, you know, diplomacy with. That's going on. And then Corker, uh, the Tennessee senator, um, who was he a senator or congressman? Senator. Senator. But he's he's one that was kind of uh, arguing a little bit with Trump in the news. But he came yeah. out and said, I'm not running. 
And because I'm not running, I now almost, I feel very free to say things. I heard someone say a Senator Corker untethered to the electorate. Yeah. Right? Because he doesn't have to worry about getting elected again. Right. It's a dangerous thing. It really is. Because he's going to be on some of these committees when mm-hmm. the tax bill is coming through, and he could be another voice that steps up against what the president's trying to do, if he's that against what uh, what he's doing in, in many different cases as he's showing. This is maybe where there's a little a little hole in President Trump's approach. Cause, and President, and it, it was interesting to see because his approach was kind of divide and conquer, good cop, bad cop. You know, and that's that maybe worked in certain areas of business. It's it may be struggling in some of his political um, uh, or his politicking techniques, because at some point you can't always throw people under the bus, especially if you want those people to vote for some of your you know, some of your important legislation later. Right. So uh, his name again is um, Corker. There he is. Corker. He's uncorked. He's, he is uncorked now. So we'll get to all that fun. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what uh, what's going on around the country? Puerto Rico's Treasury Secretary warned Wednesday that the island territory will have a total shutdown of hurricane recovery efforts if Congress doesn't provide billions of dollars in emergency funds by the end of the month. Treasury Secretary Raul Malolondo said $1.6 billion the Puerto Rican government had available before Hurricane Maria hit two weeks. Maria hit two weeks ago is rapidly dwindling amid recovery work. Yesterday, Congress passed a funding bill, and now they're pushing forward with that. So we'll see mm. if, how the recovery goes. Is they're running out of money, and the government's trying to fund them money? But uh, well, and that's interesting because there was a lot of talk about how much this is going to cost. And then when President Trump was there, he talked about how much debt the island has, yeah. around $70 billion. He also said we're going to wipe that all out. Because I don't know if it's Goldman Sachs or whoever, but that debt's got to go away. And then there was a Wall Street reaction to $70 billion in debt being wiped away, which caused the stock market to kind of yeah, take little a little hiccup. dip yesterday. <gasps> and uh, and then the uh, some uh, the budget... The budget guy, the uh, the tre- treasury, treasury had to come Secretary? out, and treasury had to come out and like kind of walk back those comments from the president, uh, okay, and say that there's no debt that's going to be wiped away. Because if they're wiping yeah. away debt, I've got I've got a little debt we could wipe away. I got a car, you could wipe that out. It'll be great. Thanks. Yeah, you. By the way, that did remind me. You need to wash your car. Yeah, it's kind of dirty. It has been raining recently. Blame it on the rain. Always. Blame it on the rain. That was kind of my plan today, depending on if I mow the lawn or not. So mm, Decisions, decisions. So, hey, back to the news. Either way, a big afternoon. <laughs> Absolutely. Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke has already invited scrutiny of his travel after chartering an oil executive's private plane, costing taxpayers more than $12,000. Now the former congressman's trip to the U.S. Virgin Islands is getting a second look, raising questions about his habit of mixing official government business with political activism, political rights. Interior uh, interior records show that Zinke has met with political donors or groups more than a half a dozen times while on taxpayer-funded depart, department trips. Uh, it is illegal to use government resources for partisan ventures. While none of Zinke's trips seem to blatantly break the law, House Democrats have alleged that the Secretary's travels give appearance that you are mixing political gatherings and personal designated uh, design, destinations with official business. So he's mm. mixing work with pleasure yeah no no politicians ever done that no in one instance <laughs> from the spring zinke visited the u.s virgin islands to understand the interior's role in the territory but also attended a local republican party fundraiser oh which you're not supposed to do yeah and this of course goes back to 
Price, the uh, yeah. Health and Human Services Secretary, who just stepped down because he used a private jet. Well, I think flying all, all over the place. I think this in the IRS. I think all you have to do is you technically just have to have a moment where, when you're transitioning from you know work to fun, you have yeah. to have a you have to say end scene. Yeah. And when you say end scene, and you have to you always have to brush your hand by your face. Mm. End scene. Otherwise, it doesn't then, count. Then, then you say new scene, new and then scene. now I'm me partying. Right. I think once you do that, you're fine. So this is more of uh, Politico. They there's a story they have out uh, this month about how they were able to discover a pen, or, uh, Price mm-hmm. and his flights by camping out at Dulles Airport air, Airport to get the tail numbers on airplanes and match them up with different records because it was kind of a difficult uh, interesting yeah level of record keeping that was being kept by health and human services and match it up with what airplanes were flying out when and like wait a second hold it and they then the heat guy stepped down because right. he was misusing funds north korean workers in china are processing seafood that ends up for sale in american stores an associated press report published wednesday revealed the food ends up in u.s retailers including walmart AP reporters made the discovery while observing a seafood processing plant in China that exports fish to American stores. The North Korean government sends its workers to countries including China, Poland, Russia, Uruguay, and the Gulf states to work in a variety of industries and then strip them of uh, – Gulf states would be, I imagine, the Persian Gulf. Yeah. Um, and then strips them of a portion of their salary, sometimes up to 70%. North Korean minders ensure that the workers do not have access to phones or email and that the workers walk between the dormitory and their jobs in pairs, conditions that many U.S. Work, many in the U.S. would refer to as modern slavery. Oh, boy. The money that the North Korean regime skims off their workers' salaries could be funding its nuclear efforts. So the salmon you possibly ate for dinner last night could be funding the bombs that Kim Jong-un is threatening us with. It's That's why I don't eat salmon. Or any, yes. And it's very fish. fishy. It's a fishy fish. It's a fishy fish. Yes, it's very true. Uh, the Gulf Coast might be hit with another hurricane, as we talked about. National Hurricane Center on Wednesday identified Tropical Depression 16 as a storm that is forecast to strengthen and bring tropical storm conditions immediately and then expected to continue strengthening over the Gulf of Mexico and could affect portions of the northern Gulf Coast as a hurricane. The storm, which will be called Nate. Oh, so brother. Hurricane Nate. Nate that's, Ruin another I good know, name. I, I, I feel bad for Nate. When it fully forms, it's projected to hit the edge of Central America as a tropical storm this week. The uh, National Hurricane Center then predicts Nate will pick up forces across the Gulf of Mexico and hit the Florida Panhandle and surrounding states as a hurricane later this weekend. Mm, so, boy. Get Come the party on, Nate. Started. Just stay out in the Atlantic. Come on, Nate. Get up. Go, go, take, a, go take a circle around the block. And finally. Yeah. If you have Netflix, which a lot of people do, yeah, I do. Prices are going up. What? Yep. For the first time in two years, they're increased the cost of its most popular plan by one dollar to ten ninety nine a month from nine ninety nine. Those monsters. The math there. Putting the X in Netflix. Subscribers of the eleven ninety nine premium plan, which bumps the number of simultaneous screens from four to. Uh, to two as the standard plan, the provides four K video. will see an increase from. By in two dollars, so from eleven ninety nine to thirteen ninety nine. Boy, oh, so boy. If you, so if you have four screens, or yeah. you're 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 searching for your four K content, it'll now cost you almost fifteen dollars a month. Are there a lot of people searching for four K content? Apparently, because a lot of people are buying four K TVs. I think more people are searching for what four K is. Yeah, 
I think it's the thing. It's it's disturbing. Is the four K on the inside of the spoon or on the outside or inside of the knife or the outside of the knife when you put down your placement, your place setting? I think it's the price of the TV. It's four K. Four K. Oh, is it four K? Oh, I thought you said some of them are. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's very uh, crisp looking picture. Yeah, and as as I look at it, I feel a little awkward like somehow they're staring at me because you can you can really see like, like pores like and they're details looking into your eyes. It's, it's a little too real but i don't like it isn't there a point where it's what we all really need is lasix possibly because none of us can see the the real possibly. value of our television the screen. price of the basic plan which costs 7.99 a month and delivers standard definition video to one screen remains the same so mm. don't worry about that oh good so the low end's not changing right they're just taxing the rich yeah, yeah. go figure it's Trump. Uh, Netflix has begun raising prices for new U.S. customers and will begin increasing prices for current subscribers on October 19th. Uh, Netflix says with all subscribers will be notified within the next 30 days advance of whenever their billing cycle is. So if you're uh, just, you know, just watch your email. You'll get a notice that they're raising the price. Yeah. And then everyone will go, they'll be mad. Right. And they'll just pay it. <clears throat> yeah. Because what are you going to do? They've got us. They've got us for now. But next year, they lose Disney, right? And the next year, they're going to lose something else. And then mm-hmm. eventually, they'll lose the BBC. They're launching, and then eventually, I don't even know if they have the BBC. They're launching 23 original titles. Yeah, they better. It's their own product, 23 of them this month. I thought they do that every week. Well, they do, but they're just. I saw that. Yeah. I was wondering why I saw so many of those stories out yesterday that they're putting out 23 original content programs this month yeah and then the next day they announced we're raising prices oh okay. oh that makes sense they're trying to give you value and then tell you why because they're going to charge you more <laughs> have you been noticing this amazon thing so amazon's looking for a second headquarters oh yeah everyone's diving in trying to give them all kinds of tax breaks well now a georgia town says they want to create a city called amazon mm-hmm. really yeah i mean have you seen those women <laughs> um, yeah, Wonder Woman is one of them. Yeah. She's in, yeah. That wouldn't be too bad. No, it'd be great. Lot she of... could protect you, too. Mm. Oh, yeah. And lasso you. With the and make you, tell, make you tell the truth, yeah. Terry, you want to bet? Terry's going to have to, he's going to get critical about whether she really has a truth lasso. No, she does. She does. Well, Haven't know, you seen the movie? She does like rope tricks with it. It's yeah. kind of cool. Well, yeah, she's like Will Rogers. Yeehaw! <laughs> Uh, so Georgia is going after it. They want to take a, t- a city and name the city Amazon so that you could move in it's, and, and all of a sudden have 345 acres in the city of Amazon. And I don't know if that's a good idea. They're just no. sucking up. No, the problem is all these cities are going to kind of bend over backwards trying to do whatever they can yeah. to get this headquarters. And um, Amazon's going to get every tax break in the world. And the cities aren't going to make any money on this right. deal. Other, they're they're going to get jobs, but the money they're kicking out in lost taxes, it won't balance out for decades. Well, do they allow men to live in on Amazon? In Amazon, yeah, yeah. it's just named after the company. These these city officials sexist. need to uh, start naming their children Amazon. Maybe that would sweeten the pot. Probably. If you named every child Amazon. I will give you my firstborn. Bring your company here. Yeah. So you could name one Amazon. You could name another one Prime. Oh, Prime. Yeah. Any other names? Uh, How far can we go with this? Free two-day shipping. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. UPX or UPS, FedEx, Amazon. Actually, they're shipping. trying to separate from them. but Are they? Yeah. They're trying to set up their own shipping company. 
Of course. And they, they're trying to put up... With they, drones, I bet. They huh? purchased their own aircraft, and so they're slowly pulling away from your traditional shipping services. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, no, it, it's, a, it's a question of how far should a, a city go to bring in jobs. Yeah. At what point do you... Or start working against yourself when you're trying to bring in new employment. It's just yeah, and when you start shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, I and think it's a great idea. I think th- I can already see the motto: What's "The city the of Amazon, where every day is a prime day." Oh wow! Hmm. That kind of did you feel that in your heart? No, felt it somewhere else. But <laughs> like I felt a heart tug. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if this came from Amazon, but uh, did you hear about the woman that bought a yoga mat? And instead receive 20,000 fake yes. oxycodone pills. I saw that. Woo. <laughs> you order a mat. This is why yoga is out of my league. Uh, you, she ordered a, a mat, a yoga mat that she ordered online. I don't know if it was from Amazon. I'm very clear about that. I'm not saying it was. But instead, a box reportedly filled with illegal narcotics, 20,000 counterfeit oxycodone tablets worth about 400 grand showed up at her house. Hmm. What do you do? Hmm. What do you do? She opens it up. Pills start pouring out. Do you call customer service and I say, hey, can I get my yoga mat? Yeah. She didn't even get her yoga mat. Because a lot of times they'll just let you keep whatever they sent you because it's more expensive just to send it right. back. And then they'll just send you a new yoga mat. Um, I got a lot of pills. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. What? Huh? And who's going to admit admit this error? Some person working in a call center somewhere that doesn't know what they're doing. Jimmy! <laughs> Hey, by you the way, in trouble. isn't that the name of your new uh, easy listening album, Yoga Mat? Oh, Yoga Mat. Mm-hmm. I have the Yoga Mat. I have the doormat. That's just for like door knockers, mm-hmm. people that are out doing door to door. Yeah, you got to be motivated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. None of them are selling much. I don't know. I, hmm. I think we're having a marketing issue. Hmm. It's kind of sad. Have you marketed to uh, Starbucks yet? No. Hmm? They've got all sorts of that kind of stuff there. Oh, do they now? Yeah. Do they have a mat? Yes. Welcome uh, welcome mats another welcome one mat. I was thinking of doing but I wanted to see if yoga mat took off and it hasn't yet. Hmm. But apparently if you offer like 20,000 codone pills, oxycodone <laughs> pills, uh it's a real, for every yoga mat, huh. it's a pretty good deal. Stimulate the sales. Anyway, so, to speak. so you know, the police got involved and now the US Postal Service is involved, investigators are coming. Oh, uh, you know when the Postal Service gets involved, then it's real. Yeah. Don't you hate it like when they show up in their little Jeeps? In their, they're wearing their little postal <laughs> shorts, and they've got, like, their jackets that say U.S. Postal Service on the back. Yeah. I'm from the Postal Service. Okay. They show you their ID. Yeah, you're like, great. They have little red lights on their, on their Jeep. Yeah. And then I think you're, the last album that you're going to release is the Matted Finish. Oh, yeah. That. But I haven't – I don't want to write that because that's, like, that's it. Once I've done the matte finish, then – It's true. It's kind of over. It's kind of over. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about how to stop tantrums and how to stop them before they start. We will revisit an interview um, that uh, we aired a few months ago, but uh, you're not going to want to miss it. It's, it, will, it will save you from problems at work and with your family. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. When was the last time you took your kids out to a nice restaurant? 
You know, maybe it's been a while because you don't want to deal with all the whining and the fussing and picky eating and spilling everything. But when kids misbehave, it can be embarrassing and exhausting. And sometimes the easiest solution is this, is to send them to time out so we don't have to deal with them for a few minutes, right? But what if your kids misbehave uh, and their misbehavior is actually um, because of stress? What if there's something that you could do to stop those tantrums actually before they even start? Well, a few months ago, I spoke with New York University's research professor of philosophy and psychology, Dr. Stuart Shanker, about his book, Self-Reg, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life. I began the interview by asking if some of these tantrums really are stress blow-ups. Yeah, and uh, just to pick up on what you said in your intro, yeah, it's all ages, and we're seeing an absolute explosion of these behaviors, um, really boys and girls starting from very young right up until their older teens. It's crazy because as a parent, we can tell, oh, it's it, oh, we've been here too long, the kid's getting yeah. frustrated, or we can see that they're hungry, and we can f- feel a tantrum coming. We've just, I guess, never associated with it to the fact that they're stressed. Yeah, we've been studying this actually pretty carefully now for about 20 years. What we've seen happening is there's been this growth in the stress that kids of all ages are under, and it's gotten worse every year, and that's why the behavior problems are getting worse every year. Wow. What what do you attribute the stress to? What I mean, it, what's has, how has life changed in the last 20 years? Is it technology? What is it? You know, that's kind of the million-dollar question, right? And so what we do in the labs is we look at stress real carefully. And what, we, what we've seen is basically there are all sorts of hidden stresses in life today. And that we're starting to worry that this may be the most stressed generation ever. What we mean by that is so many of the stresses that kids are under are things that we don't even recognize as a stress. But unfortunately, their body does, and especially their brain. Holy cow. Give us an example of a stress that we don't even recognize as a stress. Well, I mean, I let me give you one is this one. I just saw it with our kids. They're going back to school, but sports and athletics are like occupying my family's life. And <laughs> and so now all of a sudden there's this constant push to be an athlete and to succeed at it. You know, I've got uh, two kids that are both athletes myself, and uh, I'm just astonished at the demands on each of them uh, in their sports. Um, they, uh, I was an athlete when I was a kid, and the things that my children are asked to do are like a hundred times greater than what we were ever asked to do. And I'm not sure, <laughs> for little guys, I'm not sure how well they can cope with it. Right. But let me give you an example of a hidden stress, okay? Yeah. Uh, here's a good one. Um, we've seen this massive change in what our children drink. So let's stick with the uh, athletic examples. So everywhere where my son plays hockey, there are machines selling uh, glucose drinks. Mm-hmm. The problem is that glucose, uh, we, we have a part of our brain that monitors how much glucose uh, there should be. And we actually have to burn an awful lot of energy to get rid of too much glucose. Well, we're seeing a generation now where 97% of their fluid intake is either sweetened fruit drink, uh, sweetened fruit drinks, or else uh, uh, pop or energy drinks. And this is a problem because it can take all night. 
for the brain to get those uh, glucose levels down and to get the sodium levels down. Mm. That's a good example of a hidden stressor, something that's going on even while your child is asleep. Unbelievable. Yeah, your body's just trying to process all the sugar. You got it. And and so when we say the stressor, so it stresses the body, but what does it do? Does it elevate the heart rate? Does it, That's or does exactly it, right. is that what, what it does? What happen is, uh, you, you nailed it. So basically what's happening while they're sleeping, and you know, we see this with things like video games. We've seen exactly the same effect. Uh, their heart rate goes up, their blood pressure goes up, their breathing goes up from about 15 breaths a minute to 40 breaths a minute. All this is happening while the kid's in a deep sleep. And what it means is that a kid's only got a finite amount of energy, and so much of it is being used up to get rid of these, what are essentially toxins, Hmm. that when the child wakes up in the morning, he hasn't got enough energy left in the tank to deal with his emotions or to to regulate his behavior, and that's why we see the explosions. Holy cow. And that's one we don't even think about. We always want to peg it on something else, right, some external factor, but... I mean, this is diet. Yeah, and then we start to look about, you know, so we look at stuff like uh, noise levels or a big stress for kids. And we now know that uh, they're exposed to way too much noise in environments like at school or, you know, in crowded, uh, you know, restaurants. You gave that great example. Um, If you can lower the noise level, it's quite remarkable how much the kid starts to calm down. And there are simple ways to do it, by the way. Is... It's interesting. Is this why they might turn to technology anyway um, yeah. to to kind of tune out from stuff? Yeah. Now, the problem there is it's sort of a mixed blessing, right? Yeah. So uh, one of the problems is that the, the brain goes through a 90-minute cycle, and it does this 24-7. Uh, every 90 minutes, we get signals that it's time for us to rest. It's called the BRAC, the Basic Rest and Activity Cycle. The problem is that what the kid is doing is he's reaching for his technology at those 90-minute break periods uh, to give himself that little bit of a buzz to get through it. And he's not learning to read the signals of when he needs to put his feet up, when he needs to just chill for, you know, a minute or two. So we've got a generation, we're seeing a generation of kids now who literally don't know what it feels like to be calm and relaxed. Oh, Stuart, this is scary. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it really is, and I'm glad you're here enlightening us because, again, it's something as simple as our drinks, our glucose. What else? Are there other kind of hidden stressors that uh, are out there that we just ought to immediately be paying attention to? You know, we look at sort of a combination of things. So let me give you a nice example. Um, Obviously, sleep is really, really important. And we know that our children aren't getting enough of it, and we know they're about one to two hours underslept, all ages, including babies. So that's that's a well-known thing. But now, in the last, uh, say, 10 years, we started to look at something called slow brainwave sleep, restorative sleep, okay? Yeah. And what that means is uh, exactly what you said before, Matt. Uh, So the heart's nice and slow, and uh, everything is, uh, is restoring itself. Now, there is this fascinating study that was done in Sweden, and what they found was when a kid plays something like a violent video game, the very primitive parts of the brain go on high alert because these parts of the brain are pretty stupid. Uh, they don't know it's just a game, and so they respond to, you know, like the threat or somebody's trying to kill you. They respond with a shot of adrenaline. Yeah. And uh, what happens when the kid falls asleep? So say mom and dad come and they say, well, you know, it's 10 o'clock, the light's out now. 
But what the Swedes discovered was it that alarm that gets triggered, it stays on for half the night. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. he's, still, he's burning, 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 even though he's asleep. Yeah, because he's chemically charged. You're not... Chem- you got it. That's exactly right. Oh, holy cow. Then all of a sudden, we... Yeah. Uh, you have to somehow deal with the fact that he's chemically charged, and yet he's still not. But he's supposedly sleeping, so we give credit that he got eight hours of sleep. That's exactly it. But he didn't. Yeah, you got you got it exactly right. That's well, and it. then and then this is the kid that eventually will be. I'm betting, uh, you know, thirty years later, he'll be overweight. He'll be uh, having on a sleep apnea machine. He'll have sleep apnea. He'll be on a CPAP machine and trying to fight one problem that leads to another problem that leads to another problem and chasing that his whole life. So, Matt, you need to come work with us. I would love to. (laughs) That's what the book is about, and that's exactly what we see. You you nailed it. And we don't – but like you say, it's hidden. It's the hidden stressor. Holy cow. And then you see it as adults where – why is dad yeah. such a raunch? Why yeah. is dad so angry? But it might yep. be very similar things. Yep. Yep. Holy cow. Okay. So we, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Stuart Shanker. He is author of the book Self-Reg, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life. We'll, we'll come right back and continue to give you some solutions about how we handle this, what, uh, what else we can find in his book Self-Reg. We're learning from a true blue professional, folks, somebody that studies it every day, distinguished research professor, Dr. Stuart Shanker. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. I won't grow up. I won't grow up. I don't want to wear a tie. I don't want to wear a tie. And a serious expression. And a serious expression. In the middle of July. Welcome back, friends. Don't throw a tantrum about it. Nobody wants to grow up, but man, we are stressing our kids out, and we may not even be know, we not may not even know it. Dr. Stuart Shanker, a distinguished research professor of philosophy and psychology at York University in Toronto, and also the CEO of Merit Center, which you can find at www.self-self-reg.ca, self-reg.ca, and you can find out more about this book, Self-Reg. Good to have you here, Dr. Shanker. Thanks, Matt. Talk to us about, um, you were talking about the hidden stressors that that kind of come in our food, our drink, our lifestyle, like noise, our lack of sleep. And this creates a stress on the children. And really, the body probably goes into kind of fight or flight, right? Yeah, that's right. And then and then what? So if, if I can, is it as a parent that I need to see the signs that it's happening or just try to prevent the stress altogether? Can you prevent the stress? Uh, No, because we want our kids to have stress in their lives. You know, uh, good stress, like the stress of school or the stress of sports, these are are fabulous for driving growth. So what we want to do is we want to get rid of the negative stresses that we can so that they have the energy to deal with the positive stresses that are so rewarding for their lives. Hmm. Yeah, Um, they, they need to learn that, right? They've got to learn it. And um, what we as parents need to do is exactly what you just said. We have to learn how to distinguish between misbehavior and stress behavior. What, what, are, what are some of the distinctions? Well, 
with stress behavior, what's happening, uh, you hinted at this a second ago, what's happening is in stress behavior, the parts of the brain, the neocortex that we use to think, to listen, to learn, they shut down. And so if a kid's in stress behavior, having the meltdown that we started with, he's not hearing anything that you're saying. He's not registering or processing it. He is in fight or flight. Hmm. And uh, once... The signs are, the, and so in the book, we go through all the different kinds of signs. Yeah, and yeah. I'll give you a real simple one. His voice will change, uh, and you'll hear that his, his speaking becomes a little bit more higher pitched, a little bit faster. Um, and there are all kinds of very interesting body signs of when he's gone into this state. Mm-hmm. What we've got to do is we've got to, uh, when a kid's in this state, we've got to turn off his alarm. We've got to get him out of fight or flight so that we can turn back on that front part of the brain, the new brain, so that he does, in fact, hear what we're saying, so that he can, in fact, process and learn from this experience. Holy cow. I, it, to me, the whole time you're talking about this, because I work with couples that, that argue a lot, and yeah. but this is, yeah. this is adult behavior just as much. Yeah, I agree completely. You need to get the adult version, too. Well, or maybe really we all just need to go back to the basics like you're teaching in self reg Well, you know what? You're right, because we're all overstressed. That's the reality of life. Right. Well, I mean, even the tonal change of the voice, Yeah. it is a stressed sound. It's not, but some might interpret it as he's angry. But it's really no. It's there's there's a kind of a sense of stress to it. Yeah, what, I got to tell you, Matt. I'm re, I read the papers, uh, American papers, every morning before I start to work, and you know you can kind of see why we're all overstressed a little uh-huh. bit. Right, right. A little gun shy. I mean, a little not gun shy. Too too gun, you know, fast with our gun. Too quick draw. A little bit, yeah. Um, is you, know, you talk about this? Yeah. Is is this a global problem based on your research? Do you see it globally, or does this tend to be more of an American phenomenon? Yeah, it's global. So we've been, uh, part of my work for the last 20 years is going around the world uh, helping governments basically uh, institute self-reg. And we were just astonished to see that this kind of um, explosion that we're seeing in the U.S. of anxiety in children, mm-hmm. we see it everywhere. I have not yet been to a country where I haven't seen a generation that has a very serious anxiety epidemic. Yeah, because that's what I keep hearing. We're diagnosing more and more children with anxiety, which is this is all we're talking about. The body will stress to the body is anxiety. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) And not well understood, by the way. Right. Exactly. Because, we, you know, anxiety is just a chemical issue that you just have to treat with chemistry. But then you start adding chemicals that stress you. Yep, that's exactly right. So what we actually do is uh, the program, the method is it works on the body first. Um, And what we're trying to do is we're trying to rebuild those energy uh, reserves. And what happens then is when you go up in your energy, your anxiety naturally dissipates. It naturally wanes instead of trying to tackle it head on, which, by the way, doesn't work. It's just another stress. Because a a child trying this overstress that has no more energy to deal with all the stimulus, um, they... Yeah. They feel like they're drowning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, love wow. it. I love it, Matt. You're good. Don't tell a kid who's in this state to relax. That yeah. always works. You need to relax, Timmy. Yeah. You relax, yeah. Mom. Uh, and and a, I also, and it makes sense now that you describe it this way, this is a problem in bigger cities. Yes. It's, uh, unfortunately, it's been, uh, um, it's been very closely correlated with urbanization. Uh, but the point there is, is that urbanization also offers us this incredible opportunity 
to rise to the challenge. So I look at what's happening in Detroit today, you know, where have you seen those pieces about the uh, urban gardens that are yeah. uh, popping up? You bet. Uh, this is a, a fabulous example of how cities can transform themselves and make them healthy healing places for their kids. Man, it's it, I guess that's it, too, it, creating garden spaces uh, area. Talk about what are some things – we've only got about a minute left. What are some things that as we, we as parents can do to, to lower the stress? So, you know what? Every child is different. So let's, land on, let's end on that note. What's a stressor for one child isn't for another. And you know what? The little guys change on you all the time. So what was good yesterday isn't today. That's true. So you have to go through the steps, learn how to recognize the signs of when he's overstressed. And then, you, and then you start to experiment. Find out what brings him back down to calm and what brings you back down to calm because you need it as much as he does. Oh, yeah. Okay, this is a book. we got to have you back uh, okay, again, yeah. Dr. Stuart <laughs> Shanker. Keep up the great work there, really. I, I think this is, this is going to be a game changer for, for families. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. I've had a lot of fun with you. You bet. You too. Again, Dr. Stuart Shanker is his name. Self-Reg is the name of the book, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life. I mean, don't you see this in your kids, even your adults in your family, your the people that are angry, frustrated, exhausted, stress, folks. It's taking us over. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. When we come back, we'll be talking with two stress-free humans from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Let's head down now to Laurel and Hardy. This is like Laurel and Hardy music. Uh, to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. What is up? Hello, Hello, Matthew. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're at the BYU store, the official outfitter of BYU fans <gasps> everywhere. Are you really? Could you guys pick me up some pens? Yes, it's the BOGO sale, Matt. Do you know what BOGO yeah. means? Yeah, my kid had one on, on his nose. Oh, I think you're mistaken. Oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, you, do you mean the buy one, get one free sale? Okay, there you go. Oh, so there buy me a go. pen and you'll get a free one. Well, it's mostly just hats. Uh, yeah. Use that BYU radio purchasing card. Ho, 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 ho. You guys You're get an a, employee. You Sheila, get 10% off, man. Listen, Sheila Line will understand. You guys, you guys have a, a purchasing card? Don't worry about it. Wow. Big deal. No deal. No deal. Big deal. <laughs> Ben Hackley. Meanwhile, the technical director's like, oh, they heard that. Out of nowhere. <laughs> He's got such a rich voice, by the way. Oh, he does. That was placed perfectly, wasn't it? Big deal Maybe or no play- deal. The bogo sale on, on hats. Big deal. Yeah. No deal. So true. Yeah. Hey, I got to ask you about the BYU game on Friday because I won't be talking to you guys tomorrow. Wait, uh, BYU has a game on Friday? Oh, did you not hear about it? Tomorrow. Oh, man, yeah, they're playing uh, uh, Boise State. Oh, my goodness. You're hosting a pregame show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you, hurry. you guys need to look at your calendar more. It's right yeah. there. So uh, what would you say? What's the key? What, other than a quarterback... By the way, any update on quarterbacks? Well, here's the update. Tanner Mangum went to a doctor yesterday. He was either passed or didn't pass. We don't know oh, the answer. Okay. We will find out tomorrow night. Yeah. We're if not... he passed, homie going to play. He's going to play. Homie going to play. If he didn't, he ain't playing. But have you? Can is homie out on the field running around? He has been practicing without a boot, passing. They've been trying to move him around a little bit. That's tight end. Yeah, they've been getting the week. mobility going. Oh, or boy. trying to as much as he can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Is he? You know what? My uh, I had a I had a relative, an aunt that had a a walker. And um, if you put little tennis balls on the end of the walker, it's not it's a, it's grippy but not too grippy. Maybe yeah. if they got it in could that. work on grass mm-hmm. or yeah. artificial turf. Is that what you're? <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying it, you it helps with mobility. And you know, he's smart. He'll figure it out. You're suggesting you, you're always not playing UMass this pieces week. of that, right? tennis ball on yeah. the bottom of Tanner Mangum's cleats. I think that's illegal. <laughs> or walker. I'm just going to say that right now. Is that illegal? Yeah. <sighs> How about the one that has the seat that rolls that has wheels and brakes on it? Um, to get him know. to the field, maybe. Yeah. Tanner actually used that scooter. He, Did, he, I know. he got around on it pretty well. <laughs> he was mom, using it pregame two games ago. Yeah. His mom said Kansas. he loved it, and he actually got really good at it and, and missed it. I'd prefer that BYU's quarterback just be able to stand on his I own know. Two I feet. worry about it because you move too fast on these things, you re-injure, and then you're out again. That is, the, that is a concern. Yeah. Uh, definitely. So Joe Critchlow has to be ready, like we've uh, talked yeah. about this week. Who's so, a freshman? Uh, maybe Cody Wilstead. We'll see too. Okay. Holy Boy cow! This is this is a big deal. Um, what's going to be on your show today? Today is loaded. Uh, as we mentioned, we are at the BYU store, mm-hmm. which is awesome. So if you're local, you want to come down and party with us. They do have caffeine here. I oh, have confirmed wow. that. It's a caffeinated uh, with the store. store director, Mark Legg, which, uh, yeah, <laughs> took some time to do that. Uh, it's also basketball media day. So Dave Rose, the head ball coach for Brigham Basketball, <laughs> he will join us. Eight newcomers on this team. A lot of talent. Wow. We brought in a new assistant coach, Heath Troyer. What will be different this year? We'll talk to Dave Rose. Hold on. Eight? I'm not, a, I'm not a big sports guru, dude, but it seems like eight people on your team means you had a pretty empty team. There, well, you return eight players with returning experience. Uh, you return four starters from last year. So okay. this, okay. this team yeah. has some so experience. It's yeah, it's good. Yeah, on the bench, good. not as much, but there's some uh, That's good. That's different good. kind of guys on this team that I think will inject some yeah. life into the program. Well, I don't even know if you guys know it. We don't even have a bench for our show. There's no bench. We're benchless. What do you? Hey, just give me a call, Matt, anytime, man. <laughs> you know what? I know when you get in, you'd never come in to do our show. <laughs> I watch you walk by every morning, and you'd be late for my show. <laughs> you have to be there at, uh, what, 2.30 in the morning? Yeah, you have yeah. to be here when it's dark. Okay. Yeah. Someday you'll get to try it's it. it's dark. Yeah, it's dark yeah. out here. I think I see your Jerem shows up when it's dark. Well, that's because Jerem is a dedicated employee, and clearly yeah. I am not. No. You are, too. It just manifests itself. But you, <laughs> it just manifests differently. Yeah. You, you've got you've got more work to do. Manifest destiny. That's right. Anything else on the show that we need to know about? It's only about a Dennis minute. Pitta. Oh wow, He'll be on the show as well. Yeah, Dennis usually joins us on Friday. Yeah, he's up a day early. Is yeah. Jeremy going to tease him? Is there going to be a little smack talk? Well, up? last week Dennis said um, the relationship with Utah State and BYU is kind of like he and I. Yeah, he said you're the little brother. You think I'm your best friend, but I'm, I'm not. I'm your not your best friend. Best friend. Okay, yeah. He, yeah, Dennis doesn't view Jeremy as his best friend. But and that Jeremy really hurt. Says, that really hurt, friend. you know? Yeah. Now I'm with like, you. Come on, man. <laughs> why, why you got to get, why you got to be so rude? Oh, That's what wow. I told him. You sing like an angel. Said no one. Said no one ever. Um, <laughs> cool. So Dennis Pitta, and then you two, are you going to tomorrow's big game? I mean, that's got to be, you, you got to work Brigham. all morning and then at the at the Brigham Center. Dude, we live for days like tomorrow. But We're going to be live day. from the stadium. Yeah. But then you've got all Saturday off. You can go mow the lawn. You can do what you got to do. Well, eh. I, I have to call a women's soccer match on Saturday night. So <sighs> It never ends. That's why Unless they call Jared wants choice. to step in for me. 
That's why they call you guys. I will be out of town. Yes, you will. Please don't be sick. Oh, where are you going, Jerem? <laughs> I'm going to the Angels. None of your business, oh, Matt. Yeah. I'm going to be at. Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to be at a couple of games. It's going to be a huge week. I'm going to Dodgers game too Saturday. <gasps> Holy cow, Against Jeff! Jeff just started listening. Yeah, yes. Oh, Jeff, Jeff knows. Yeah, he started listening to Jeff's the show. Jeff's trying to go to Jeff the Jeff is uh, weeping right NLCS. now. NLCS. I'm going to the NLDS. <gasps> that was the first it. time Jeff has listened to the show today, and he's always running the board. It's amazing. You guys lit him up. Well, gentlemen, have a great show. Good luck in the City of Angels after uh, on the weekend. That's pretty cool. And good luck to the BYU women's soccer team with Spencer. Oh, I get it, finally. What? He's going to the Angels. Los Angeles. Yeah, Los Angeles. Did you not get that? I've got it now. Yeah. Well, you probably didn't hear that. But you did light up the minute he said Los Angeles Dodgers. Of course. Why... Why don't you light up like that when I'm doing my show, my segments? Don't I? Mm-mm. Nope. You don't. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not mad. I would just like, I mean, you never light up for me. Anyway. Do you want me to play a violin? No, I'm good. Okay. I'm fine. Hey, uh, our hero of the day is an unarmed hotel security guard that was the first person to find and attempt to stop Las Vegas mass shooter Stephen Paddock. And his bravery likely saved countless lives, according to the new report. Mandalay Bay security guard Jesus Campos was carrying uh, just a nightstick when he tried to open Paddock's barricaded door on the, 20, on the 32nd floor uh, Sunday night. Uh, Paddock, who had cameras looking outside of his room, stopped shooting at the crowds below and fired through the door at Campos, uh, blasting him right in the leg. Campos immediately called into the casino's dispatch to report on the shooter's location, and other guards and cops were then able to rush the location and draw Paddock's fire. We, uh, we would not have engaged this individual in, uh, in the time without uh, – we could not have done it as, as quickly as we did without the security guard's assistance, Las Vegas Sheriff uh, Joseph Lombardo told the news outlet. So one guy doing a simple little job, and imagine being a security guard, not carrying a weapon, not used to have people shooting at him, and he goes up with a nightstick to try to, to, to see what was going on. Amazing stuff. So we appreciate him. He is the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. And that's the program. We, uh, we're here every Monday through Friday, nine to noon, uh, 7 to 10 Eastern. No, 9 to noon Eastern, sorry. 7 to 10 Mountain Time. And uh, we can't do it without you. So we'll be back again tomorrow to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. BYU Sports Nation is up next. 